Welcome to episode 63. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. You'll find all the social media and streaming information there. Uh, make sure you give us a follow on social media because you usually see cool old flyers and just all the upcoming uh, episodes. Uh, there's a Patreon floating around. You can drop a couple bucks in there and, and do a little donation for the upcoming uh, live stuff that I'm planning on doing this summer. Trying to get some uh, uh, video cameras and all sorts of stuff to do that with. Uh, there's a couple of cool uh, local shows coming up. Uh, Integrity's playing in Rochester at the end of March. Uh, there's a show at the Bug Jar on March 4th. Uh, I know Leaking Head's got another show coming up too. Uh, just keep your eyes out for flyers, Instagram and whatnot. All right, so this is episode 63. Uh, I'm actually not sure if you guys will be able to tell us or not, but we're going to be recording this in two separate parts. Um, so uh, part one, we're going to kind of be talking about the early years of the Red Death, and then part two, we'll jump on with Aaron and, and kind of you know, finish everything out. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking to Paul and uh, Josh from the Red Death. So uh, first, I guess, how are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, I know it was kind of like herding kittens to get us all together. So appreciate your time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt, man. I mean, I got a dog up here, so we're not too far off from herding some stuff right now. So um, and how you doing today, Josh? Good, man. How you doing? I can't complain, you know, uh, we're doing this during the day, so it's going to be a little easier on me. You know, I'm usually kind of tired at night doing these, so this should be uh, <laughs> a little easier. So yeah, like I said, we're, we're going to try to focus a little bit more on the early years today. So uh, I usually talk about like upbringing and stuff like that, uh, but we have two of you guys on today. So I think maybe we'll just kind of have you guys kind of go back and forth and tell me about like growing up in Bath and like just how the, how you guys found the scene and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. I think we could talk all day about that. Um, I mean, we grew up in Bath, New York, which I think a good amount of your listeners might be familiar with just because we were kind of along the road to get out of central New York and down south on the way to a lot of tours. So, um, I mean, where do you start? We Small town with not a lot to do. We yeah, and, and a lot of I was going to say that I was like, uh, the thing that was kind of in vogue there in, the, the, in our area in the late 90s, um, you know, uh, was... Lots of, there was kind of like a, a contingent of kids that really liked ska and punk in our school. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then there was like, uh, people, kids are like, like new metal and stuff that would just happen to come across the, the fucking radio or whatever. And so like, I would probably self-identify as one of these new metal kids who didn't have the internet, who didn't know For any sure. better. Uh, and it was just like, I don't know. I, I just knew I liked heavy music and that was like the heaviest thing that I could even conceptualize um and then and you know i kind of like the speed of like these punk bands but i was like nah, i don't really like how they sing you know and they were like the you know the real nasally kind of singing like your your no effects and things like that which i was like yeah it's fine but wasn't my my deal um and then i think what really started to happen was some of our friends that that were our same age their older siblings were like going to college and they were finding out of like uh, you know, your victory records bands and your, your EVR bands and stuff like that. And then bringing them back. And then I was like, you know, picking this stuff up from these, these kids and being like, what, this is like so much cooler than everything else. Everybody's been listening to. So that's probably where a lot of that came for me as far yeah. as like finding out about like heavier, more extreme forms of music. 
And then how, like, how soon did you guys discover, and I know from talking to, you know, Mike Benlin in the past as a previous guest, obviously Bass is a small town, so it's a small scene, but like, when did you guys discover like a local scene? And like, were you guys, are you guys like around the same age or did you guys already know each other like around that time or? Yeah, Mike's a few years older than us. Um, and, and so the, the, the guys that were his age, maybe, what is he probably like four years older than us, Paul, somewhere in that neighborhood? I would assume so. Um, at least he was a few grades above us, so. Yeah, and he was so, bringing he was bringing shows into town and part yeah. of like a diff a older crowd that had really been a, the reason we were getting introduced to hardcore at all yeah. at a younger age. So yeah, like he would have been probably you know, like one of these 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 guys a few years older than us, like traveling out of town more readily and bringing this stuff back. Um, and then so he he and some uh some of his friends of of his same age were kind of like doing shows there you know, while we were still probably like in seventh grade or something like that. Yeah. We were like the little kids hanging around. Yeah. They were putting together shows and bath for, um, yeah. So I guess like, what were some of the early shows for you guys? Were they in bath or were they like in surrounding areas then? Like when you guys like started finding like more of like a small scene as opposed to like, you know what I mean? Like concerts and stuff. Um, for me, the first yeah, like hardcore yours? show that I went to was in Buffalo and I went with our, our the, the red oh. death one of our bass players uh, that, that we had for a long time with dominic and it was one king down in bane and grade in buffalo and yeah. it, that was like the first like small like scene show that i went to in like a small club and to me it was like it blew my mind because i was just like well i'm just like hanging out next to these band members like i didn't you know they're like they're just around like you know and they're not back because mm -hmm. there's no green room or whatever and uh so that was like something that like blew my mind then I was so jealous when I knew you went to that show. Yeah, it was like, and I'd been listening to like hardcore bands and, and metalcore bands or whatever for a while, but it, it just was like to a certain point of, I didn't make a lot of money. My parents didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, I was like, I wasn't traveling out of town for nothing for the most part. So yeah, yeah um, we were pretty broke. <laughs> and for me, I was kind of limited in that my access to a lot of music because I was raised in a very fundamental Christian home that was like very against almost almost anything I like now. So while Josh and our, a few of our other friends were kind of getting, sharpening their teeth on some of the Rochester hardcore and Buffalo, and, and of course the bands coming through, um, I don't think my first show, my first hardcore show was, it wasn't until like in Ithaca with Poison the Well and Unearth. And, but prior to that, of course, I was listening to Stand Fast and Break a Dawn and all these Rochester bands. So I was kind of a late bloomer compared to the rest of the guys just because of my my access to music. But boy, I made up for it later. So. Growing up in the Christian home obviously isn't something I was super aware of. So it's not really something I was prepared to ask about the interview. But obviously, yeah. that's that's something I'd be super curious about with you playing. I mean, even initially in another day forgotten, but obviously later on in the Red Death, like, I mean, like, yeah. The family had to be kind of not super stoked or, or yeah not at all um, although <laughs> josh, josh by the way lived down the street from me so uh, yeah we... his so uh, paul's dad he's i feel like he's bearing the lead was a he's a <laughs> he's a pastor at the va medical center that yeah, my dad like my dad worked at my dad yeah. was like a maintenance person and did painting and stuff there yeah so they sort of worked together but uh but not really but like his his dad was very christian <laughs> Yeah, I, for instance, growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch the movie Homeward Bound because anthropomorphized uh, animals were considered demonic. So, I didn't even know this one. Hey, I don't share that one a lot, Josh. I don't share that. 
wow. it's my own private thing. I the and I remember two two very distinct things that came pushback from your dad was the uh, him ripping up an Earth Crisis album. Um, yeah, that was like my defining moment. That's when I knew hardcore was for me. And then the other yeah. one was we went to uh, I think it was Hellfest 2000, and Paul yep. went with us and didn't tell his dad he was going. And his dad came and found him. And, and it was it was the year that like the first venue shut down and they moved it to another place and we drove there and that got shut down and we drove and we ended up being at the Lost Horizon for five minutes before it got moved to another place. And then while we were at Lost Horizon and uh, Keith Allen gave some like impassioned hardcore speech on top of a van, if I remember correctly. <laughs> he definitely did, yeah. And we watched that for a while. And I think the whole first day I canceled because we were going to our car that day. We're walking back and Paul's dad was walking towards us. And this is a good two and a half hour drive for him. And he happened to find, he went, somehow he found three different venues and found us at the right one and took Paul home. And he did not get to enjoy the rest of the weekend of shows. With I us. did not. And also, you guys took my nudie magazine, I think, and used it for kindling. I still resent you for that. Uh, well, Was that Benlin that did that? I mean, I don't know. If we were cold, we had to burn the nudie mag. What do you want? <laughs> we should bring him back on to find out because he went with us. So, yeah, I rode my I crawled out my window from my parents' house and rode my bike to into town uh, like at six, five, six in the morning and then hid behind a shed until everybody showed up to, oh, yeah, to leave for Hellfest. Right. Yeah. That's so crazy. So uh, just to kind of clarify, yeah, my parents did not support any of this. However, like like a lot of Christians in that kind of world, uh, I was being exposed to alternative Christian rock, like the Tooth and Nail bands. So actually Seven Head Division, who I know you booked quite a bit, would, was a band that was on my radar because my, my youth group was sort of into this stuff. And I think they're christian actually now i don't know yeah you know what's interesting too is uh it's going to be a few episodes back now because i'm recording these in kind of a weird order but tom bullman uh he said he kind of grew up on like christian stuff too so i asked him the same question i'm going to ask you like did, did you ever yeah. fuck with like any solid state bands you know what i mean like like stretch armstrong and like all that stuff yeah nice. so by the time hardcore meant anything to me i was wasn't interested in the the christian part of it but of course i was always hyper aware of which bands had kind of this like what i would call like like the pseudo christian like like there was a you, you never knew what their own convictions were their beliefs but somehow they were they were booking shows and packing venues because they were on a christian label um so yeah uh, i was vaguely aware of what bands were doing what i mean i remember as late dying was christian um <laughs> for a minute and uh yeah so yeah uh under oath of course uh was and Norma Jean were bands that we're very aware of. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess like what kind of led to you guys starting to form bands and stuff then? Like, like I know another, was there, was there anything before another day forgotten or was that pretty much like yeah. the, the first? <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. There was one right. that was short lived. It was a band called, what were we one step away, which is one like a creative, away. you know, sophomore high school band name. Um, that if there was like one influence on us would or i guess we could pick two you could say it was earth crisis and hate breed mixed together but yeah, but in yeah, the, but in the lens of of 10th graders writing guitar riffs so yeah that wasn't very good um <laughs> yeah we had a song called 63 cents though so we were progressive and yeah, it was about was, the wage disparity between men and wage women gap between men and women because we knew about that yeah we were um, 16 and very you know <laughs> aware um, 
Uh, and then, and then it was another day forgotten. And that band was more influenced on like we were starting to get more melodic and metalcore like leaning, where we really liked Shylude and uh, Poison. Yeah, Shylude was a big one for another day forgotten. Yeah, especially because our uh, the other guy who played guitar in that band, our, our friend John, who I'm still friends with today, he he didn't really like heavy music so much, but he did like Shylude and he liked their creativity and weird time signatures and stuff. Yeah. And so he wrote a lot of the riffs. And so he, it was sort of like driven by what he he liked more more than anything. So um, one thing I'm thinking of, too, with like being in a small town, like I know even back in Rochester, like when we were trying like and, I, and again, as I referenced on here before, all the bands I was in, in high school like were shitty bands aren't worth talking about. But like even trying to form bands back then, like it was hard to find like five people or four or whatever that were into like hardcore and punk and that kind of stuff. Yep. Like was everybody into another like was it easy to find musicians in a small town? Like to form I, that. I have to say that, you know, when I was looking through and preparing for today, it felt like when we met, like Josh and I met and the other guys, it 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 made no it, this is the only thing we wanted to do. So it was actually very easy to just get together. Almost we get we we're practicing twice a week. We were going to shows every weekend. It was like it was the only thing we knew to do. We weren't like thinking about college. We weren't, we were, we weren't into sports. So Josh, you, you might be able to like say I actually more of this. I actually used to play I played football in high school all the way up until the point I started to learn to play guitar and then I was like yeah. fuck football <laughs> and I just like dropped it like a bad habit and then yeah, probably, I, was on the I bet my brain team. could probably thank me for that uh, for for the rest of my life now but yeah, um, yeah man oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nice yeah so um, yeah. but yeah that was so it it, it wasn't bad it was kind of you know the guy you know graham was our drummer he was probably the only good drummer in our area and i don't oh yeah by we, far. Well, i, I guess we had maybe two yeah um, actually so he literally was two other he guys, was the yeah. one that liked the heavier stuff at the time and we had another guy um uh our friend mike who we're still friends with now that that yeah, he at the time great. was listening to more like punk and stuff kind of stuff so we were either like all right we're playing with graham he's playing drums and then it was easy enough to kind of to flesh out our, our bass player for, for another day forgotten was our friend Dan, uh, who I haven't heard of in a million years, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't heard. I don't know. How and um, then, so, so no, it was okay for us, but I think we also sucked up all the talent with that band. And I'm not even trying to say like that band was the shit or anything. Cause we weren't, but, we, but it, you know, in our small area, it did a pretty decently. Yeah. Another day forgotten played the numbers game. Like we just sense, Graham was booking shows. We would be on a lot of the shows. So we were just constantly exposing ourselves. And then we learned through message boards. And again, like a lot of like learning from Rochester hardcore bands, like how to just contact people booking shows and getting on them. So another day I forgot was just very active. Yeah. We probably played every weekend for a few years. And I, and I don't know if you guys played Rochester like right away in the beginning, but like in the beginning when you were playing Bath and like when when there was a lot of shows there, like I'm familiar with like Murphy's Lanes. Like, were there a lot of other yeah. places to do shows there, or was that like pretty much the only yeah, place yeah. there? That there was that one. There was a, a place called Just One More. That was a small like redneck just bar. down the road from Murphy's Lane. Yep, Creation's um, Crucifixion and Twelve Tribes both played. Yeah, uh, at <laughs> Just One More. Yep, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, uh what else there was a there was later one in downtown bath which is like i don't know if you make a real distinction between downtown and where that other those other places were but i mean there was also shows in like some people's houses and stuff like that just like yeah you know, we, which 
I remember seeing like a lot of bands in Rochester and, and having good times. And, and uh, you know, I remember distinctly somewhere in Rochester seeing No Time Left in a Basement. That's what I thought was like a really good time. Well, uh, <laughs> Army of Punch and Star Shell Fall played in my yeah. parents' basement. There you they go. Out of town. We, we yeah. did a secret show in my parents' basement. Did they ever find out about it? They, uh, they did, but uh, I think it was way they later, aren't right? too dialed into what was going on. So <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, oh, that sounds nice. Um, so when did we all start linking up with you guys? Because I know, like, obviously, yeah. I, know I booked you guys sometimes, and I'm, I feel like other people in Rochester probably did too. But like, how long yeah. were you guys? I mean, I'm sure you guys had been coming to shows in Rochester for a while too. So that's probably how the connection was made. Yeah. But so, um, Josh, again, I, I defer a lot to him, but I know you, uh, John, twenty five, and Josh Stein were three appointment for us during another day forgotten and that was largely due to of course like graham and also dominic Nuncio, like just being engaged and and looking for shows and trying to get uh get linked up um i remember i could be wrong but i think the first another day forgotten show in rochester was at saint joe's house of hospitality i don't know who played it but i remember our favorite band's vocalist which was you know rory van Grohl was there and like yeah. we covered stamp ass song did we do that i think we did it and as a joke and i think it went it over like bad. a lead balloon it, <laughs> it was bad and i i mean stand looking you know rory's right there up front and and i'm a kid from a small town and why really look we, up to why these would we think guys. that's funny i don't even what's that why would we think that's funny i, I don't think i was being funny josh i think i i was like putting my <sighs> I heart think we did it, it like a, i don't even know why because it was like an old really old one on their song i don't know it was what song was it i don't remember <laughs> it was off their like first but it was Whatever. a band that we actually legitimately loved. So I don't know why we would try to clown on guys we barely know we for clowning, whatever man. fucking reason. Were they already broken know. up by then? It, it seems like no, they were no, no. They were still band, together, I think. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I don't know what the fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> real it's... weird energy coming from guys from like nowhere. I don't know. Yeah, well, honestly, it's like we, we really like we were fanboying Rochester a lot. Like, yeah, you know, true. That's how I was like, I, yeah. everything I was doing was kind of trying to figure out what was happening over there and kind of loop to loop back down to the Christian upbringing. A big part of hardcore for me uh, was identifying with uh, like the straight edge and punk movement because it, it conveniently aligned with the fact I didn't drink anyways. Like we were young kids in high school that weren't really the party type. And so Josh and other guys were like, you know, of course, straight edge and, and maintain that. But early on, that was like, a easy grab for me like yeah the straight edge stuff in rochester and in syracuse and all yeah that. how how long was another day forgotten active it's like a couple years or yeah i'd say three yeah something like that basically, two or three yeah. yeah did it pretty much form right in like how many people from i guess like another day forgotten were in the red death like did you guys pretty uh, much like was it three of like us one into the three. other so yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, and Josh. it was it was uh, the one, the other guy, the guy that the our friend John, that was the the sort of the shy halud ripoff writer. <laughs> uh, he he uh, was like going away to college, and he's he's like literally like the smartest guy I know. He's he's a nuclear physicist nowadays. And, yeah, uh, he is. So he he was like, I'm I'm going to school, and I'm I'm done. So it was like, all right, well that's fine. And uh, <laughs> so then it, there was like there was like a few months off where it was just like we didn't do anything. And then I started like just uh, experimenting with like different guitar tunings and things like that. And I was just like, what's drop C tuning? I was like, oh, this is really cool. Josh, I, was, like, I, can I write remember way heavier riffs. 
So, I remember coming to your parents' house and you having a guitar and telling me you discovered like drop C, like you were like yeah. starting, you were trying out hate read riffs just to see. Yeah, because that's what they tuned to. And I was and just like, okay, all right. So I vividly remember thinking, and we need to start another band. It kinda, I don't think there was ever a question, but it, it just. Yeah. And so like the, with the whole idea of the new band, I was like, we wanted to be more extreme, probably still melodic, but, but like, uh, uh, heavier. So, um, that's where that came from. And it was probably like a three month break, something like that. So, cause this, would, cause this era, this is like 2002, like late 2002, right? Yeah. Right about, so, uh, or maybe even 2001, he graduated in 2001. Yeah. So it would have been then. Yeah. So yeah. when I got when I started thinking about I'm sorry, Paul, but when I started thinking about doing this interview is like this whole era, like that's when it started to kind of usher in like the more extreme like metal bands like being played by hardcore kids. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there was a yeah. lot, a lot that all popped off around the same time. But I feel like you guys kind of came in early in that era. Right. Yeah. Oh, I thought so. I mean, I was listening to like Kill the Slave Master, Spread the Disease and like, yeah, all yeah. out war, of course, with just this like it was like more metal than anything yeah in terms of- and i was like right. as far as bands that were a little more on the metal side of things that i was influenced by was i was influenced you know by some of the earlier good albums of in flames and uh absolutely um, oracle uh, and and uh the tremolo picking style that the band undying did like constantly i thought that was like the coolest fucking shit so and, i totally and, forgot how influenced we were by undying that oh is yeah very true that and is so true that's a band that i occasionally land on now now and again and and i just go oh yeah i still yeah. really like a lot of these riffs so and then we later toured with undying which was awesome yeah which was great when you started to kind of i guess get the band together and start playing this kind of music though like did you guys realize like you're going to end up playing more like like metal shows or, or was it like we can probably play hardcore shows and do metal like metalcore type thing you know what i mean i'd say it was the latter where it was more like we were still i feel like hardcore kids you know yeah. and and um so that's what we were like you know and and that was like a big crossover thing at the time so that was like easy easy to bridge that gap for yeah us. we looked- I, I i probably wouldn't have been smart enough to know the distinction that there's like dudes with uh battle vests and, and patches and stuff like that that yeah, like now we were... i would way more identify with but like at the time i would have been like oh like uh fucking, i still want to put x's on my hands at shows and i'd probably get laughed at at shows like that yeah we were barely <laughs> uh yeah we were we yeah we we didn't look metal we loved the brutality of metal because i remember uh, i think dan austin uh the uh the bass player for another day forgotten he had made us a tape of dark tranquility at the gates and, or at least me. And that was like the intro, like this more ballooned, this melodic death metal that eventually became absolutely what I defined my love of music for. Yep. And was it hard for you to kind of find like a vocal style to do that kind of stuff, Paul? Um, uh, I'm saying like, what do you mean? Uh, like, was it hard to find an audience? Locally no, 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 no. I mean like just to do the vocals at all, like, like just like to sing like that, or you know what oh. I mean? Like, yeah. Was that was um, that challenging? So since I had so much time in another day forgotten and I wasn't shy, I think I knew as long as I screamed and I, I lamented like uh, my <laughs> tortured soul, I could uh, I could convey something. Um, I will say I was again thinking about Do you know that this interview. Me, reminds me yeah. of I remember yeah. like, vocal oh, wait, warm ups for Paul included him just screaming 
uh, about how his dad didn't go to his baseball game. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> that was that was that was like a vocal warm up for him. He just grabbed the microphone and go, "You didn't come to my baseball game." Yeah, so that's yeah, his tortured not. soul there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Josh, you might remember this when we recorded the first Red Death demo, which was it at a? It was a studio in Rochester. At Studios generous. Uh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Some guys. What was, what was the place? Nothing. It was called like um, incidentally. It was something at the gates. Something. Yes, is, I was. Is, I wrote that down. I'm like the gates mall. The Does gate? that sound like something? Village Josh? gate. Village gate. Village gate. Village gate. That's what yeah. it was. A lot of bands recorded there. Yeah. And he oh. was not good. Yeah. I don't know how <laughs> he kept was, going there. I don't know. But if he was, like um, word of mouth he was really, really cheap so okay that's yeah, yeah. What it was yeah. and i i'm pretty sure we ended up paying him in like change like literal like quarters and stuff too that is that occurred. true josh <laughs> that might that might have occurred i don't i also I have to say i'm so thankful josh joined and was able to do this thing because his uh sobriety and his sharpened <laughs> edge as uh has helped retain some of the history because i'm a little bit fuzzy on all but, this but yeah that first demo we recorded up there uh and it was not you know i, I mean that's the thing now is i think you think now it's it is easy to record some guitars uh at home nowadays and record yeah. some vocals and like just throw a blanket over your head and like do it like that on a, on a macbook or whatever or less and so yeah. it's 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 wild to think of like well we just really didn't have those resources back then um to record a demo josh real quick do you remember when we recorded that demo um speaking about my vocals and my influence i believe uh the band noticed that that if you only listen to the vocal tracks i was emulating like a scandinavian accent sometimes <laughs> yeah. i was like yeah, because all we were listening to by that time was like dimension zero in flames at the gates and column up. that was all i listened to yeah. when like that demo was being made <laughs> yep so I had this. I was and, just, and and I think we also made a distinct choice to make you s- scream a little more guttural, guttural and lower rather uh-huh. than than really? you were doing yeah. like uh, in the other band. You were doing the higher pitch. What what I would have called screamo, which people have co opted to mean bands <sighs> like. Uh, so disappointing to hear that you know, phrase now. Yeah. But like real like screamo back then, which I I can't even think of a. a I didn't like it, but that's how you kind of sounded back then. Yeah. Um, but then and I liked a lot we were like, no, 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 you yeah. have to go. You know, we don't mean you to sound like uh, uh, the dude from Cannibal Corpse, but can you try a little lower? <laughs> well, that also makes me think again about like influences vocally. That's when the red chords fused together between revolving doors came out. And those yep. guttural lows were like to hardcore kids like us, like kind of mind blowing early. Yeah. And that was I think That's I remember recording that demo. That was the red chords. EP was I think it was an EP was what we were like really jamming to as well yeah that's one thing I definitely want to ask you guys in a bit is like when you guys started building up friendships with other bands and stuff like that too but um I'm curious too like what the if I mean again I know I always try to preface this when I do these interviews and say like I realize this is several years back so if the memory's a little foggy for either one of you uh including the straight edge one um I understand <laughs> but what was the initial reaction like like playing like hardcore shows with this new like kind of like extreme style that Maybe not all hardcore kids were used to to hearing, you know. Uh, I hmm. I think so. I mean, early shows would have just been in Bath, so it was. Yeah. Uh, one of our very first shows was a battle of the bands in our. Josh, house. that was our first show. There you go. That and, was hundred percent our first show. You know, Cornell. We were York. we were the only band 
that had any experience of any type. So it was literally, uh, it was just, we annihilated everybody. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was like, just like no competition. We were, we're just, and so, oh man, we're being really cocky right but, now. But the thing is, I'm not even saying we were good then, but it was just yeah, like, we were the only ones that actually had played any other shows before. And so that uh, the first show of with the Red Death is that we came in, we put on like uh, work lamps and put them low on the floor and pointed them up at the symbols. So it made weird shadows and shit. We didn't face the crowd and we were we like had skulls. right? Yeah, we had like, you know, shit like that. And we had songs that we had actually like rehearsed and they were all originals. I don't think we did a cover. And so, yeah. so everybody else in the battle bands was like, we're doing yeah, covers, covers and like they were terrible. And, and, and so, you know, the first show we went over great, uh, which was sure. But then playing like <laughs> yeah. actual, like, like we were dazzling a bunch of ninth shows. graders. Right. Uh, doing like out of high school shows that we were taking, you know, we were also, there wasn't also a lot of competition in Bath. So, you know, we, we, we were, we were well received. And I think people, around upstate new york were maybe a little more not as receptive at first but but like you said kind of before where it was like more extreme things were starting to happen uh and then so we kind of picked up steam somewhere along the way after yeah because metalcore was ubiquitous by six that months point. a year yeah. after we started kind of going kind of going because even like the rochester bands that we were really digging like building on fire and stuff we, we weren't too far off track from um, yeah. that kind of sound so uh, i don't feel like we if anything the hardest part of our young, early career was convincing more brutal fans to kind of give us a chance like uh, yes you like that say, yeah, that was actually that were like more more metal focused and being like no we're like we're there too guys you know so i think i think the bridge in, into the hardcore kids was easier and then the um so the yeah. Even though we played more of those shows, especially Binghamton seemed to like us, but they also yeah, had way more extreme metal bands that they liked over there. So then trying yeah. to, to build up steam in that area was was harder at first, but they, they sort of came around. Yeah. And you talking about the Battle of Bands makes me think of a funny concept. Uh, somebody just should start a band and just go around playing Battle of the Bands, like just look them all up. That's a pro. Just, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, right. You could just we like clear the house yeah they're, they're like a pool shark for battle of the bands that's great yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and locally i'm guessing star shell fall would have been around here at the time too and obviously goalie ended up playing with you guys later too so yeah yeah he and, was and that go ahead uh yeah he ended up because we were so linked uh to rochester in many ways how did we end up getting to know nate uh josh we, did he we, was in we, warblade right he he just yeah and he liked our band so he just like talked to us, I think, at a show a couple of times because he liked what we were doing. And yeah. um, and then we played with Star Shall Fall, I believe. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how that that panned yeah, I out. Forget. And so like in and, and um, we just thought he was a really good guy. He, and he very much is. And um, yeah. so when our, awesome. our our other guitar player, uh, Brian, at the time, we were like, all right, we want to actually like go out of town, hit some shows, you know, gone for several days at a time. And he was like un unwilling at the time to make that happen. And so, you know, we we're like, well, well, yeah, he was going to college. And um, yeah, but, you know, pe plenty of people make that happen still, you know, yeah. but uh, but it was so it was like, I don't blame him for not wanting to do it. But um, but we were like, well, what did you think we wanted to do? Because this is what we talked about. And that's what occurred. 
and and so we were like, well, we're going to have Nate that we met, you know, fill in for you. And he was fine with that at first. And then at the time we were like, Nate was so enthusiastic about being with us that we're like, we, all right, he's got to come and just be permanent. And so we kicked out the other guy, unfortunately, um, who we're, we're on good terms with him now still, but he was very angry at us at first. Uh, yeah, well, we, yeah, we were assholes too, I think. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't think i was if i remember no I, yeah i don't we owed him we, we we had all pulled up money for some things uh at some point and he wanted us to to pay him back uh after we kicked him out and uh i i don't remember who it was but i do remember not wanting to do that was that they paid him back in change in a bucket they went yeah. out of their way to go to the bank get money <laughs> put it in a bucket and then give it back to him so Dude, he had I, still, I, I think about that every few years, how <laughs> much of an asshole move that was. And yeah. it was really mean. And I don't know why we did that. I didn't, I don't either. I, like I said, I'm, did I'm Graham work at a I'm, bank at the time. So he got a bunch of uh, pennies. Whatever. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. You did work <laughs> at a that's bank. What occurred. It was really mean. It's one of yeah. my big regrets of the Red Death. Was yeah, absolutely. I have a few regrets the of the Red Death. That is one of them for sure. <clears throat> Thankfully, he's fine with it now and i talk yeah yeah he's, <laughs> yeah he's the man was there was there a lot of touring and like weekends and stuff before you guys uh, ended up hooking up with uh, metal blade yeah, a, yeah quite a bit really we were we were really fortunate to have two people graham and dominic or i'm um, so dominic was an advantage dominic wasn't until later so yeah okay well so we'll get to that of course when we get to it but um Graham was really motivated in booking us and getting us out of town. So we would sign up for just about anything that people would allow us to play. So I think one of our first tours was with a band called with resistance. Um, It was like an East coast Mm -hmm. thing. Um, We did some dates with, uh, Oh man, what was they were on? (laughs) Why do I I remember the record label then? Uh, they were on Tribunal Records. I don't remember why. I remember the name of the record label they were on, but now oh, I can't uh, remember the name of the band. Uh, 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 we did some, we did like a weekend with them, and they were like more uh, right because we went to Virginia with them. Yeah, and they were more focused on being like a metal band. They were. I wouldn't say they had any like core part of them. Um, Judas Cradle was it? Judas Cradle? No, no. Um, fuck. I can't Jeez, yeah, I definitely. <laughs> but they were like, a, you know, were like a good and like metal band, and so we were kind of getting excited by that. Uh, so that was like an early one where we only had a demo, and that's where we realized like the Northeast for us, anyway, upstate New York was more like hardcore kids. But the further south we went, we were finding more and more like metal focused kids, um, wearing like actual metal band shirts, as you would think. And we were like, oh, okay, this is like way more popular down here. Um, so when you uh, get down to like florida and stuff is that pretty obviously then what you're talking about because yes. obviously like yeah you, i mean paul's wearing the shirt and then there's a bunch of other bands down from down that way way too so yep. is it more like metal shows you guys would play when you get down to the south end or was it still like hardcore and metal i think it was still more like hardcore and metal but you'd yeah. see it yeah. a better mix of a better mix of t-shirts at the show i don't know it's the best way yeah to yeah put it. we started yes yeah, getting down south definitely got us to meet some metal heads for sure but yeah most Metalcore was so attached to hardcore. It was like more hardcore than metal in a lot of ways in terms of the culture. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was always obviously kind of floored by the opportunities you guys got with labels and stuff, especially coming from a small town like that. Like how did the whole thing with metal blade come about? Like, had they been like kind of scouting you guys yeah. out for a while or were you guys like so, shopping the labels? 
It's a good, um, great question. I think it this was, is a fun one to tell. This was uh, we, our, our, our base player we had from the start. I, I, I don't mean to be, you know, he wasn't very good. And, and I don't mean to be like mean to him uh, about that. But uh, we were just like, we got to like up our rhythm game here a little bit to, to match what like Graham was a really good drummer. So we were like, we got to mm-hmm. get, you know, the bass player up to snuff to match that. And so uh, we got our, our friend Dominic, who went down. He was going to school at uh, uh, Virginia Tech, and he was in a band called The Shadows in the Silence. That was sort of a screamo band, I guess you would say. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, sure. And uh, he, we're like, hey, do you want to play bass for us instead? And he said, uh, yes. So we got him, and he he came back to be in the band. And when we were touring around and whatever we met a friend of his that ran the Virginia tech uh, radio show for metal that he did like once metal Jake, uh, um, who he had like connections with uh, record labels and stuff like that, just from like, you know, he, they would send him albums to play on the radio and stuff. And he was like, yo, metal blade would definitely want you guys. I, I can put you in contact with the, my, my contact there. And we're like, all right. And he, and he did, yeah. and he was right. And they actually did like us. So we kind of owe it to him to, to getting us any sort of foot in the door. Yeah, Metal Jake was a huge part of it. We would already started putting our feelers out. I think at one point we'd given Trevor Phipps of Unearth our demo as well. We were kind of trying to get, so we were in the process of realizing we wanted to, we wanted to be a part of a label. We wanted to like that. That was the, the thing. So we were kind of, we already put a press package together or wait, we didn't yet. So yeah, we stayed with Metal Jake and um, it was kind of a, yeah. Love at first sight when we met him. He was he was a kindred spirit, and he introduced us to Jen for Metal Blade specifically, yep. and then that gave us a pipeline to get them our demo. And um, we ended up talking around the phone that night. I think you know with a few, you know, it was a pretty wild night of drinking. We were wearing gauntlets and just sort of celebrating <laughs> all things metal. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then when we got home, we we sent them our packet press package. And do you remember that press package, Josh? So, so what we had done by this point in time is we were, had recorded a six-song EP that was put out by a guy in Corning, New York, that I honestly can't remember his name anymore. He was somebody oh, yeah. who... Kevin? Was that his name, Kevin? Thank you, Kevin, for whatever you did for yeah, us. He, I, he, was, <laughs> he really kind of put out a lot for us. I don't remember exactly what his day job was, but he was a guy who liked, you know, punk and hardcore and metal and stuff like that. Yeah. He and he was, like was a just a few kid. years older than us. And he he just had like a decent day job where he had some money. And he was like, I want to try to start like maybe a small record label. And we were the first band. So we went and recorded a six song EP at uh, uh, with Jocko. Uh, Jason Randall in Syracuse where he his his he has an awesome studio there now but at the time it was just in his basement where he we really liked how the uh, the Ed Gein album sounded that he recorded for them so we recorded that there um, yeah. it sounded pretty good and we yeah, released six song EP and, and that's how we came to shop that to Metal Blade who uh, at that point in time were like all right that actually sounds pretty good here's what we want you to do. If you, if you're interested is that we want to buy the rights to that album. Uh, you guys record more songs for it to make it a full length and then re-release it as a full length album. Um, so what then that had to happen was that Kevin had to come up with a figure that he would want for this album. Cause not yeah. only their terms of it were, we want to buy the rights to this album and these songs and you cannot sell any more albums of it anymore and so he had to like make that decision and he 
really didn't want to at first because i think he thought we were like oh a, a legit record label is like interested in this band and he was like what do i got then you know and we were like mm-hmm. kevin please for the love of god just do this <laughs> yeah because if you didn't sell the rights to that or whatever because i don't uh, think they were interested in fully fully funding uh, an album from scratch for for us or waiting for a full album from scratch for us so yeah it was an opportunity to grab the reason i asked you what if you remember that press package josh is because i think a large reason we ended up getting signed one because metalcore was really in vogue like yep. that you could list all the bands on metal blade that got signed in like a few years it was just like we, but we, we also in that press package showed had pictures of our van and we had heard from other yeah. bands. That was like a huge factor. If you just showed and we already had willing to hit the road touring yep. history, we, we played every weekend. We practically playing multiple shows a week for years at that point. Like, yeah, we, that I think that in itself is the reason we got signed. I mean, I obviously think we put our hearts into good music. We we're we we're making fairly like likable metalcore, but I think the picture of that van got us signed. Yeah. And it said Bath Wrecking Crew on it. It had a giant Danzig skull. Yep, it sure did. Speaking so of, they, I think no, go ahead. Uh, John 25 gave us that title, Bath Wrecking Crew. Some guys from Rochester started calling us that, right? Yeah, I think so. Probably put on yeah. a flyer or something. Yeah. Something, probably. yeah, because we were probably. just the Bath kids <laughs> in yeah. Rochester, so... Yeah, because I, I was curious to ask about the recording process for that full-length then. So I'm guessing then you didn't re-record the other tracks then, you just recorded the new ones? and then We just, just recorded of- the new ones. By then, Jocko had moved into the studio space that he still has now, which is, as you imagine, no matter how bad it would be, was still better than his parents' basement. And it was pretty nice. So the problem yeah. that we actually had was that he had gotten exponentially better in that time, and he'd gotten better gear, and he'd gotten, and it was only like a year later, if that. And so the problem was we're like, all right, now we have to record four new songs to sound as bad as these other six. So that was like a challenge where like, how do we, because we just wanted them to sound coherent with each other. And it's not like the first six sounded bad, but we were like, he was like getting better constantly. And so we were, he was like, ah, he's like, he's like, I can record these to sound better. I was like, but we can't do that. So it was like, we wanted to be, and Metal Blade wanted to be like a whole cohesive thing. So we went back and recorded those uh, those four songs. And then at that point in time is when um, Nate, uh, who had been in the band for a while at this point, he was getting sort of, um, uh, I don't know. He didn't love the idea of like, oh, now I need to suddenly make this band be my full-time life. And or was not so sure that Metal Blade was the right place to go. Yeah, and- Nate actually... He, I think he was like, you know, maintaining some of that hardcore integrity. You know? Like he was like, I don't know, guys, like you're going to give up a lot of freedom by I, signing. I, we were like so excited to just be a part of Metal Blade. We kind of we had our blinders on. So. And and the thing that like the big argument that I gave for him is he's like, I think we should wait to hear from what other labels say. And it was like by then we had yeah. we had sent stuff to you know, prosthetic records and trust kill records and victory, you know, anybody that could possibly give a shit. Yeah. We, exactly, it was like prosthetic victory. We heard exactly zero back from any other record label, any other, no matter how big or small, nobody else got back to us. So we were like, this is it. And this is the kind of thing that was like, are we going to get the best deal ever? Maybe not. Yeah. Are we, yeah. but we got nothing else to go on and i feel like we got to take it and 
we did the right thing. We hired a lawyer. We, we, we spent money on a lawyer uh, to make sure we weren't getting just outright ripped off. The lawyer actually said it wasn't that bad. Um, I do remember yeah. that uh, we had, you know, the, the, what, like the share of what you would get per album sale. Like if you went to the FYE publishing rights were, were about the, their industry standard, uh, which is like a dollar an album, which is like terrible. And yep. Um, but our, our price, if we were to buy an album to sell at a show was actually really low. So we, if we sold an album at a show, we actually made a fair amount of money on it. Um, he, he said that was like one of the better, uh, ratios of that he had seen. So we're like, all right, well, I guess we're not getting totally ripped off. So, and, but Nate was still not, so he quit. Unfortunately at the time of, of, uh, um, recording these four new songs. So on you're right. That album, we were kind of literally in the middle of getting ready to record. Yeah. So on that album, it is almost entirely me on guitar on that album. So, <laughs> well, that was my question. We'll talk to Aaron later, but did he, I thought he helped write frames of reference. Am I not remembering? No, that, uh, okay. the, the, that was still written with Nate and then I recorded all of it. And then Aaron wrote a solo for it. And that was, that's it. what I was remembering. Aaron yeah. came in like at the tail end of recording. And so I mean, we really got him as we wrapped up frames. I kind of never. Yep. yep. So we Nate had quit. Um, and it was on good terms. And, and I, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I saw, I saw Nate, Nate at Thanksgiving this year and he's, he's doing awesome. And, yeah. uh, so I had to record all the songs for this album, uh, at least those four new ones. And um, the we we I asked uh, if Hope Dies was a band from Syracuse or Auburn, I suppose at the time, and they had just gotten a new guitar player. And I said, "Hey, you guys had guitar player tryouts. Uh, did you get you any good runners up?" And they said, "Honestly, not really." But we heard that our other original guitar player is interested in being in a band again. Um, so you should call him, and that would be Aaron. So. I called him. Yeah. He said he was down and um, he was uh, way better at guitar than me. So, and, and he continues to be to this day. So uh, he was, we were like, like he Hey, we want to get some like, like lead better leads in this, this situation. So we had him record like actual leads and record on, on the songs we had already had written. And so he was able to doctor those up and, and add a little bit of flair to them. So, yeah. Yeah, Aaron was ahead of us which, on that. Which would be the point of Aaron of actually becoming way more metal because that's like the metal thing. Hardcore solos, right? Not a thing. So. Aaron also had had gotten lessons and was brought up learning guitar by the guy in Manowar. So yes, yeah, yeah. And so Aaron had a lot. Yeah, he was. He came in guns blazing with a lot of talent. The other thing about him is that he was more interested in like writing songs of like melody and. Uh, a pretty a pretty set structure like a you know a verse a chorus a verse a chorus bridge like that kind of thing and we'd come from a place of we were writing songs more like a prog band where it was like they almost didn't repeat ever and it was and i didn't realize that was that was a place of graham never wanted to repeat stuff as i remember it and so when aaron joined late and later on this is the you tell the songs pick up much more of a a, a structure that I think actually worked out really well. So he he ended up, we, he liked he liked the heaviness and the darkness of the kind of shit that I came up with, and then the the structure and the melody, and I think they mixed together pretty well of the stuff that he yeah. came up with. So now I know things kind of didn't end uh, that great with Metal Blade, as we'll get to in a little bit. But I'm curious, like more about the beginning and stuff, like how things were. Like, did they give you guys like like tour support? Like, there's all these things you hear about with like major or major indie labels. 
and like different yeah. things they give bands and stuff like where they're were there like like things that were thrown your way that you hadn't seen before and initially with them when when you guys were first working with them a little um, bit I, they were they were pretty conservative about it because we were so small and i think they kind of wanted to throw us in and see how we could handle without them to, to, to see if we deserved their help after that yeah they they kind of we were also pretty self-sufficient because uh mentioned earlier once dominic joined the band now we had two guys that were really good at getting us tours and booking yep. so and, if i recall and Domin- our first and dominic tour, was a really good money person for us too yeah so. dominic was was our money guy he was great with figuring out how to make the books work and he was great at, as was graham but dominic too just really good at getting yeah getting in touch with show promoters and people book show um tours so you're right metal blade didn't really give us a lot of uh, they, like they gave us a recording budget that was recoupable <laughs> um yeah uh that was yeah, like yeah. one thing I I think they gave us a bit towards a van budget, so we did upgrade our van at some point, but it wasn't a lot. Well, Josh, you remember why we upgraded our van? Because we Cause... got in an accident. Oh, that's true. We had well, we had upgraded. So... We had gotten in a bad accident with one of the vans, and then we had to upgrade. So uh, I think. And uh, speaking of like kind of the tough love we received from Metal Blade early on, um, the we got in a pre tough accident right outside of Binghamton in a snowstorm on our way to the first show on for it was the acacia strain into the moat and from second story window is that right yeah it was into the moat yeah yeah um it was a pretty cool tour we're really excited about it and we got that accident basically totaled the van and our trailer and we called up metal blade on the side of the road in a snowstorm kind of like freaking out because it's our first show debuting really out of town we didn't we didn't total it but we we severely damaged the coolant well, system of that van and it was a problem for a long time after that yes that's right we didn't total it that's correct um but we called them kind of not knowing what to do we were young enough to just kind of being on the side of the road worried and uh mike Fay is that his name bailey he, bailey he um i think he told us some anecdotal story that well cannibal corpse on their first tour ended up just being a caravan of different cars and so he kind of implied, like, just get your cars out and go. Like, he pulled a make it work. He's make it work. Yeah, man, make it work. It's a Swiss, we call it a Swiss cheese tour a lot, too. So. Did you guys make it work, though? We did, yeah. Did. We got the van fixed yeah. up. We we uh, repaired our trailer that we had purchased, used somewhere. And um, uh, we, we did, yeah, we toured with that van for a little while longer. And then eventually they did give us money to buy a better van once that van kept having problems. Remember, I remember specifically we were playing with, uh, we were going to Syracuse to play at the Lost Horizon with Bleeding Through and um, The Haunted. And our, yeah. we were almost late because our van kept overheating on the way there. And that was the old van. So we were like, we this is oh, something we, it was yeah. untenable. I also just want to throw this in real quick. You were saying a lot of things Dom was good at, Paul. He's also one of the top five stage divers I've ever seen, like at any hardcore show. <laughs> nice. So, oh my God. Oh, he I would hope, love to I hear that. Was... It's important that makes this interview. Yeah. I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead no, with what you're going to say. I'm going to do Dominic a disservice, but he he was, I think we did have a name. Like he was he was pretty extreme in high school. He was he was oh, like no. the guy that sort of like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dominic. I know you're going to listen to this. He was like the guy that actually figured out like what moshing and dancing was. We all kind of like flubbed into it. You could just get in there and <laughs> fucking go. So, oh, God. Yeah. You did that. that. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> I also saw him at Thanksgiving. Dominic's doing year. great. I don't he's think doing great as well. Much. 
Was it just like a get up and go type thing at that point though? Like, were you guys just like a touring machine? Like now that you're on metal blade, like just doing like tons of different tours. So the, yeah, the, the metal blade while didn't uh, provide us like a whole lot of like monetary support um, and like uh, advertising pushes or things like that. And I, and I don't say that, that I can't blame them. Why would they? Yeah. Um, they, what, we were, we were, but you know what they did provide? I mean, they, they provided a lot of context. So decibel, like, our press releases were pretty massive once we were on yeah. with them. Like we were in decibel magazine, what seemed like every other month. Um, and we got metal hammer and stuff over in, in Europe. Our, our European like press is like was at good. home. They were, and, they were doing work, but and, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the form of money. They hooked us up with better show promoters and tour promoters like uh, yeah. uh, Ash Edelson, um, who I think later went on to do some Marion records and stuff like that. He, he did some, some yeah. cooking for us and, uh, um yeah so that 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 was something that they did do and get us in contact with tours with bigger bands um i think one of the things that was key to our downfall with them was that i think they they consistently mismatched us on tours which um was a thing that we we toured with like straight up hardcore bands sometimes and i don't think that went well for us um great examples like embrace today and since the flood like yep. we were and playing shows where the fans of those bands weren't crossing into our territory like no. what we were and i think they were too purely hardcore <laughs> and they were just like yeah nah, i'm gonna go outside <laughs> but then do you remember josh we also played like we had these weird shows where i think it was in austin texas we played a venue called the back booth or something it was with deicide yes and vehemence but yep. then also champion the band, yes. like the hardcore band. Yes. There was like, there was, like this- there was two shows happening at this venue. And I think if you paid for one show, you got access to both. And it was like, yeah. they were, I, it was really weird. But yeah. And I think some of the metal kids heard us playing over on the hardcore side and came over. And it went really well for us that, that night, even though we were playing with like a bunch of hardcore bands. It was called there. the back room. Sorry. Go ahead. And, uh, but yeah, and it literally like Deicide was in the other room, and we're like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah, there, we're like, "Oh, fans. we're like Deicide's over there." Okay, and we're yeah, like, we oh. wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like touring with Embrace today and since the flood during that era, you might have encountered uh, like certain crews with certain initials and like straight yeah. edge violence and stuff. Like, was that ever an issue or? Uh, not huge actually there was one time in el paso which was a place that did go really well for us and i i honestly i don't want to say which band it was paul probably remembers and i know all the bands and i kind of had a blank spot for this and he reminded me it's one of the last times we hung out um and they were supposed to play that show this 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 crew band um, and they were late, if I remember correctly. So the promoter was like, nah, you're not playing. And then when I they got they added to show it out of yeah. <laughs> and it was not cool. Luckily, that was there was never anything that sort of came back on us having to deal with that. Uh, personally. Well, I can speak. More. So what happened in El Paso, it was uh, I was outside on my phone talking to somebody and I looked over and I knew this band was going to be on the bill, but they were like added last minute. And I. I knew the show promoter was stressing. It was with a from a second story window in Acacia Strain. That's yeah. who's on tour with us. The right. band that did the acting out is not that those bands. Right, right, they right. showed up and I was outside. Suddenly I noticed like kind of a silence. And what they had done is blocked the doors so nobody could exit the venue. And then the guys of the band went in and kicked the shit out of the promoter and demanded some 
whatever. I don't, I don't remember what the transaction was for this. And, uh, and so I'm outside watching somebody who I know later on in life, holding the door shut. And um, it was weird. And I was freaked out. And then later on, we found out this promoter got his ass kicked. And then the promoter was also like, acted like he deserved it. He's like, oh, yeah. He was like, he let the show go on. He's bloodied. And we, and we played it. Great show. It was fun. Yeah. And later on, the guy that held the door, I'm, uh, I met him. I was renting a place in a different city. And he was there doing work on my house. And I go, I think I know who you are. And he's somebody that's pretty well known. <laughs> like, it was fun to rehash that. <laughs> so. I'm sure we'll want to get Aaron's vibe on this too. But were there places yeah. that you guys went over really well and really enjoyed playing on these tours, like other cities? I mean, obviously, Texas, yeah. it sounds like, was, was a good spot to play. Yeah, uh, I, I I wrote down a couple things here that I, I remember. Uh, it was like Binghamton after a while was a place that always seemed to really be supportive of us. Um, yeah, Binghamton. But actually, speak going back to the crew thing, Binghamton did have a lot of crew stuff going on. Like, yeah, a lot of heads were getting bashed at those shows. Um, and then, like like I said, I think the South was pretty good for us in general. So no no specific spots on that that I can remember. But uh, a couple of like I remember really good shows. Uh, where well El Paso for whatever reason I think it's because every band has to play El Paso because it's like this island in the middle of the desert that you have to stop yeah. and play there, and so kids of all kinds of music types just love coming out and they love to see shows there. And yeah, it was shout out to Jose and Mondo. Yep, I'm still keep um, in touch with those guys. And uh, he, uh, you know, that was always really good. And um, one of the best shows we ever played was in Boise, Idaho. It was in, we played there one time ever. It was with Through the Eyes of the Dead, right? Yeah. And uh, Ion Dissonance. And yeah. I remember like we pulled to this venue and we're like, oh, it's a decent looking venue. It's pretty big. Like, hopefully people show up. And then I remember it packing, just like just stacked. And I remember that for every band, every like every person there loved every band and we just went hard for every band including ours and i was just like wow boise idaho who would have thought and it was yeah. it was just like one time we played there we never played there again and it was just like the luck of the draw that we never got booked there again for some reason the midwest was sometimes a gold mine like just kids kind of like speaking about like bath and like small towns not that boise idaho is a small town in that situation but the smaller areas, we usually get these huge turnouts for bands like us. So people are just kind of really into checking out what was going on. So sometimes our worst shows were in big cities. I can't remember yeah. who, but I feel like somebody else has has mentioned Boise on here before. Um, mm. Were you guys, were the tours at this point? Well, I guess two questions. Was it still mainly hardcore tours? It kind of sounds like it. And then like, did you guys like kind of do this more full time at this point? Or were you guys still like working like jobs on the side too? Or um so this was uh yeah by by now we had been we're like all right we're making a go with this and we i think everybody had quit their their day jobs um yeah we hadn't had jobs in a while for a while <laughs> and it was yeah. to the point of um you know the band at times was more lucrative than other times we we were never like well off i, I will uh really yeah. admit that um but we were self-sustaining um without having to go in debt for for a while and mm -hmm. uh it got to a point around the time we got dropped by metal blade where we weren't touring. Cause we we're like, all right, we don't have a label now and we don't have, um, we don't have like new songs to tour on and, and stuff like that. So 
that's when I was like, I'm going broke. Like I, I had a hard time personally where I was like, um, I think most of the rest of the guys lived with, with, uh, significant others or their, their family. And yeah, but I didn't get outright kicked out of my house at 18, but my dad was like, if you're living here, you're paying rent. And so I was like, why would I live here and pay rent? And he was like, yeah, exactly. So get out. <laughs> like, so, uh, so I was like really drawn thin at that point. And, and at this point I was like, guys, I think we need to take a break. Like we just need to work some day jobs for a while, write songs. And I think the rest of the guys were really still like, we still have some momentum and they and did not want to stop. Um, so they kept going. And uh, that was around the time that I had to like take, take a step out uh, of the band, um, which was like yeah, one of the toughest sucks. decisions I've ever had um, because I really liked being in the band and I had started it and all that kind of thing. But I, it really was yeah. like completely monetarily driven at the time. And I didn't see any other way because, you know, death metal is not exactly lucrative. Dude, and, that was a story. I feel like that was the story of our lives. Like we just never quite figure out how to pay rent, especially somebody like you that I got to, I could still crash my parents' pad. Before we, before we talk about how things fell apart with uh, metal Blade, there's, there's, well, there's actually a couple of bands from this area that I'm curious to get your, your guys's take on. Um, I don't know how much current music we'll talk about, but like when I see the band on death now, I see a lot of parallels, obviously between what they're doing and what you guys were doing then. Like, have you guys kept up with them at all or? I don't think I know anybody in Undeath, and I was just listening to them last night, and I was like, "Man, these guys are ripping!" And I, I've actually uh, had a blind spot for them until literally last night, <laughs> where I went, "Oh, how the man, fuck did I, I miss bad. this?" I, same. Now I'm gonna listen to them. It's oh, awesome. you're gonna love them. You're gonna love them. Are they? They're, so they're, fill me in. Are they from Rochester? They're from yeah. Rochester. I see. Just, I only know. I don't know any of them personally, but I know the singer is this dude Alex, and he's more from like hardcore and like other bands. So it's very similar to me that they. I don't know if they're all hardcore kids playing death metal, but they're like, what, what label are they on now, Josh? Do you know, is it prosthetic or I know they're on a uh, yes, label Yes, I think they are on prosthetic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. They're, they're, it seems like they're kind of like blowing up. I want to try and get their singer on here at some point to talk about all this. Cause I don't really yeah, know. And, that. They, and Paul, they are like, they are extreme yeah. death metal. They're you would definitely like, like them. Yeah. When I, I love them. Yeah. That's something yeah, that when I saw, when I was prepping for the interview, I was like, man, I see a lot of parallels between like how they came from hardcore. And I, again, I don't know if they all came from hardcore, but I know the singer did. Um, yeah. But then another have band, a completely illegible logo. You'd love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All their shows. I'm like, there's got to be like some sort of app that you can put on your phone that you can like highlight <laughs> over these bands to be able to figure out what they're called. Because I, how do you, how right. the fuck do people know what the bands are? Like, I don't know because it's it's that yeah. bad. It, you cannot read it. It would have yeah, to, I, you know, uh, it'd be a death metal band QR code, like reader. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's like something yeah. from like Portlandia or SNL or something. I feel like they should do it. Like I love Portlandia. Yeah, totally. Um, but another Undeath. band, going, I'm sorry, Paul, going back to the era that we were actually talking about, though, like, did you guys form a relationship with Psyopus all or did you guys play shows with them? Because I feel like there would have been oh, the metal. I've got some Psyopus stories. Yeah. Uh, well, we were, so we were we in Rochester in the same building as them. Yeah. Yeah. It was the North. Uh, was it North Charlie Abs? Like, yeah. Uh, Cosmic Jams. It was like this warehouse. Yeah. What yeah. I think that? so. Yeah. 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 I think it was, yeah. what it was called. Yep. Cosmic mm-hmm. Jams. Yeah, it was awesome. It was such a dark, dingy place. It was really a good place to like for bands to just be grim and like <laughs> be pissed and hang out. So Syopus was like adjacent to us. Uh, there were there were some other Willow Tip bands near there too in that in that same studio space. Salako. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Warblade was of course around the corner. 
um that was such a blast because like we really got to see a lot of the bands that we kind of knew were just sharp like doing great um yeah so we got to know Syopus pretty well in fact if this is a bit of a tangent because i want to say something else uh, well here i'll tell the story first i recall the singer for Syopus. was his name adam yeah um he would sometimes show up to our practice space with candy bars and ask us if we wanted to buy any and <laughs> without any context and oftentimes it'd be like in the middle of us like doing stuff so it was like i remember knowing he was kind of different and uh later on once we saw them perform a lot we we're like yeah this guy is an entertainer he's he knows what he's doing and then one more story about him before I tell like what's probably more interesting about Syopus and the red death is that well, at one point well into our touring career on metal blade records i think we were out in arizona somewhere at some random show we played it and, and Syopus was booked to be on that show too, but they got added later. And we probably hadn't seen them in a year or two. And uh, when they showed up to the show, Adam just acted like he he didn't understand why we were there. And he seemed particularly confused. <laughs> and we're I like, this is our that. show. We were like, we were like the band uh, at that point in that on that specific bill. And so they had joined this bill as a whatever later on but yeah he he just couldn't fathom why we were there he, he thought we were like just there to see the show or we're like we're like no this is like 2500 miles away bro what are you talking yeah, we're, about we're, we were booked we're, we're like one of the headliners <laughs> and so the one of the interesting things about Syopus, other than it was so neat to see them come up is when we did sign our rec our contract with metal blade record records mike Faley came out to buffalo and took us to Mighty Taco, and the guys in Syopus joined us, yep. and uh, because they were also working out a deal with Metal Blade at the same time, so it was kind of neat. Just we we're all sitting there eating tacos, and and kind of I remember the guitars for Syopus was so fascinating to listen to. We had yeah, so many road stories. Chris, so. he's uh, Chris, yeah, they do like a trip on guitar, man. Wow. Yeah, because <laughs> he was playing with Hank the Third, I think at that point too. He was really doing some stuff. Yeah, we had this failed, yeah. like when I was getting ready to travel across country in 2006, uh, Jim from Borrowed Time and uh, Dean from Dawn of War and the way we carry him and I were going to do like a cover band of like yeah. classic, like hardcore songs. And we waited like an hour in that same, probably the same practice space you're talking about, because they shared it with, with Syopus at the time. We waited like an hour and Chris was just like, yep. you know, for yeah. like the whole hour. And I'm just like, it's cool, but like, we kind of want to practice now. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I he, bet he, he could do he, that shit for like 12 hours at a time or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Chris was his, his own, like his number one fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, like we're getting to the fallout of the label. But what I'm curious about with Metal Blade 2 is like, I've never really, I mean, I've talked with people who've been on bigger labels, but like, what, is there like a contact that you guys work with personally when you're on a label or do you just like talk to the label as a whole like when you're on the label you know what i mean so that we had uh the, the we spoke with uh was it was her name michelle paul yeah it sounds little, familiar yeah had a little dog so we i guess we kind of had an oh. artist relation person yeah uh, wait what's and, her dog's name xandor yes yes, yes. i remember her dog's name <laughs> she had a miniature <laughs> pincher named Xandor we stayed at, we, we visited her house one time uh in uh California and um she, yeah so we had a miniature pincher named Xandor uh I'm pretty Hi, sure Xandor. her name is and I think she was our artist relations person so but the thing is is that we could feasibly talk to the president Mike at any given moment uh and we also talked to that um the radio person whose name was Jen 
Uh, yeah, if I remember correctly. Brian Slagle wasn't our point man at all. Yeah, we, I think we met him we once. See, yeah, we'd see him around the office, like when we visited. But Mike Failey was like sort of in charge of these metalcore bands. I think a lot of ways. Yep. And and <clears throat> I think what became evident for us was that if you look, if you go to like Lamb Goat right now and see the time that we got signed to, to Metal Blade Records, they also signed, they signed us into the moat. The absence. Um, Winter solstice. Winter solstice, and there. Ooh, I think there that's was, a good memory. I think there yeah. was one more, but whatever. Four or five bands, and it was in like three months of each other. And I really think they were looking for their next, their next uh, uh, as they dying. They were definitely looking next, for their next as they dying, or their next unearth, because they had signed those and did very well. They had signed unearth like a month or two before we had gotten the call for Metal Blade. I feel like. So I, we think that they they had a shotgun strategy for finding their next of that, and um, you know ultimately we weren't it. You know, <laughs> yeah, we like, well, long story short, <laughs> um, and and so what eventually happened? You know, we we did okay. We sold a few thousand records. Um, it's, you know, we didn't like chart or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and it got to the point where it was like, all right. We were talking about, all right, we're going to write some new songs. Well, how, how are we going to write these new songs? We got Aaron in the band now to write songs from the ground up. So right. this is going to be great um, because he, he he was such a strong guitar player. And um, and we were by now been exposed to so many more metal bands. And we were just like, oh, screw metalcore was, I think, the general. Yeah, we wanted strategy. to distance ourselves from metalcore. We were like, our songs aren't going to have breakdowns. It's going to be and- melodic death. And and yeah. so we were uh, we had a meeting with with Mike from from Metal Blade and he he came out to see they would do like a Metal Blade showcase in Buffalo um, where he would go because he's from Buffalo originally and he would go once a year. Somebody would put on this show and it was sort of like a showcase to see him to check out, you know, East Coast talent, I guess would be the long story short of that. Yeah. And so we went I think we played that show and then we um, we did uh that night andy williams is that the night he took you he hooked you up no, with a bunch that of was gear? something else okay. um he he took us out to eat after and he was like all right guys we're, we're we're you know new album what do you think and we're like yeah here's the we're like here it is new album <laughs> we're gonna be way more death metal from now on there's gonna be no breakdowns and yeah. Uh, you know, maybe still a little bit of melody, but it's just like we're gonna be. We were citing bands like, like decapitated winds of creation, decapitated like, and uh, dimension and, zero again, and, and things like that, and dissection, and so you and I remember distinctly his reaction being like, "Hmm, okay," and then yeah. about two months later, we were like, "No, you're not on the record label anymore," <laughs> and we're like. <laughs> oh man what did we do to ourselves so i don't uh, think they were prepared to take on the risk of at that point in time in two th- this would have been 2006 well so i also have a running theory i Seven? think one i think saying no breakdowns was like a real like yeah. red flag and i don't we know probably should have just that. done that and not told him is what we should have done well right we but we had also parted ways with dominic at that time and I think that really this I, this is my theory. You don't have to agree with it. But Dominic was a very stable force in our band for booking shows and organizing. You asked us who we talked to when we were 
on Metal Blade. It was like Michelle, of course, and Mike. But who talked to those people was Dominic because true, he yeah. was that was his job. That was what he was good at. So when Dominic was out of the band, I think the the label also said, well, how are we going to communicate with these guys? We're not used to talking to them. And we honestly, we didn't have as much as a professional cadence as he did. I so think that's I sort of picked that up and it, I, you know, maybe they didn't like me. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you did. And you sucked at it. Yeah, um, probably like, no. So I recall thinking that part of the, the drop was possibly due to the instability of the band. And, uh, and as a result of having Dominic, yeah. and then, and, but and, either way, we, I don't think they wanted a band that was like, we were so in love with like what the black Dahlia were, were doing that we just wanted that like Arsis. We had toured with Arsis. We wanted to do that. Right. So, and yeah. if we were um, Dominic and, and Graham, especially were were had abrasive personalities to each other. And it came down to, we, it was like, we can't deal with, we didn't have a lot of arguing in our band. Like, I don't know that Paul ever and I ever argued with each other, and it was very rare. No, we were, like, we were best buddies, and, even and when so, I was best. And, and like stuff like that. But that was that would probably be a consistent source of like any uh, internal stuff with our band was between those two guys, unfortunately. And we sort of we had to make the call. It was like, well, is it going to be easier for us to find a bass player around uh, the southern tier of New York, or is it going to be easier for us to find a drummer? And yeah, and Graham had been the drummer from the get. And was good at it so we we ended up coming to that decision and ultimately we when we replaced dominic with our, our friend jordan or you know now our friend jordan um who we did not know at the time but uh yeah and then so yeah i think paul's right the the metal blade losing the guy that they thought kind of held the band as a as a, a business uh together well um and then also being like uh, the creative vision being not the exact type of thing, which I think is ironic now because you get a band like Undeath, uh, and uh, you know bands like that actually do really well right now. And I'm not trying to say we were ahead of our time, but you know. <laughs> well, that's what I was kind of referencing. That's what I was kind of referencing when I was in the very beginning. I was asking you guys because I feel like you guys were kind of one of the first bands that kind of like spearheaded this movement of like kind of like hardcore kids playing like more extreme. I mean, obviously, bands in the '90s, like um, you can name a, a different bunch of different bands, but I'm saying, like for this era, I feel like you guys were one of the first bands to do it. Now, an another question I have too, and if you don't want to get too in the weeds with something like this, I understand. But like, is like, what are like the legal ramifications, like for like, because I'm I'm sure you guys signed more than a, a one deal contract. Like, how does that work with like getting dropped or whatever? The, the, we yeah, had a, so we had a five album deal, and with that with that re-recorded first album counted as the first one. And they yeah, had so, outlined like what a recoupable budget was for each album. And obviously they got bigger for each one. So, um, but they, they have a clause in there that allows them to just go bye-bye. And our, you know, our lawyer pointed that out to us appropriately beforehand. And he's like, it's pretty standard for a band of your guys' stature that this, cause like, you know, they don't, yeah. they, they want, if they want to sign you and they want to keep you a good long while, so if you're any good, so they're going to give you a five album deal. He's like, I wish we could get it to three, but he's like, but I talked to them and they said, nah. So, um, and so, and he's like, so, you know, he's like, that's pretty, pretty standard for a band of your guys' ilk. So, um, and as far as any uh, legal trouble afterwards, I think one, we were a small enough band. We didn't have to worry too much about publishing rights and stuff. Like we didn't, our music wasn't on any like uh, 
I think like skate video games were popular. A lot of bands were getting on. Like, so we didn't have to kind of do any bookkeeping. <laughs> we weren't owed any money. You know, every now and then we get a metal blade, uh, a check and it's hilarious yeah i think dominic um, had a so, metal blade check uh, a few months ago what was it 25 cents or something yeah which yeah, i think is coming by ago. way of spotify right now is what it yeah. was <laughs> but <laughs> like as far as selling the record we we had a good amount of the frames of ref like our yeah we we kind of didn't have issue like uh we they just let us go they <laughs> were like this cut yeah. the cord yep and then which funny is uh, when aaron joins us later we will talk like we ended up touring with a metal blade band that is one of their biggest acts right now. So that was kind of cool. Are they still to on be that? off they, the label while they, that band was getting signed? What's that? I think they got uh, brought up to a major, didn't they? And probably I don't know that, but, but they're huge. So yeah, we'll talk. We'll we'll let Aaron talk about that when yeah. he gets on. I was not in on that one. All right, so I'm not sure how we're going to do the master editing for this episode, but we're kind of jumping into part two now. Uh, we kind of left off with. Uh, Paul and Josh and myself talking about uh, how those guys kind of got dropped uh, from Metal Blade. And now we're being joined by Aaron, Paul, and Josh for part two. So we're going to talk uh, about the era after that. Uh, I'm going to start by bringing on Aaron first. How's everything going for you tonight, Aaron? Uh, very well, man. Thanks for thanks for taking an interest in uh, putting this together, man. No, I'm definitely excited. So uh, uh, yeah, we got Paul and Josh here, but I kind of want to get your background first on how you joined the Red Death and and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Yeah, man. So I guess, um, to, to tell the, to tell the full story of how I even knew the Red Death existed, we'll go back just a little bit further than that to my first band. I grew up with a bunch of dudes in a small town called Auburn, New York. And I used to play some music with those guys. We started out as a hardcore band called Guilt by Association and eventually turned into a band called If Hope Dies. And, um, somewhere around 2000 and, uh, I suppose it was 2002-2003. I left that band very early, very early on. I was pretty young still at the time and I went off and moved to Denver, Colorado for a little bit. Uh, I kind of took a little hiatus from from playing music. Um, Just just really wanted to kind of get away from my hometown and go experience something different for a bit, for a fresh perspective. And so I bounced around a little bit, moved to Denver, moved to Philadelphia, lived in Philly for a while and kind of when that uh, wanderlust a little bit got satisfied I I realized there was a pretty big missing hole in my life because up to that point I, I really just played music my whole life uh, since fourth grade I'd been playing guitar and so I'd always played in a band some form or another and so the reason why I brought up my first band is because the first place I looked to being uh gosh at the time I think I was probably 19 years old maybe 20 um, yeah because you turned 21 while you were in yeah. the band yeah i remember many tours in too for that matter so yeah Yeah. i was still pretty young so um you know i it tried out for uh a band like a metal a metal band in boston and that didn't work out and the relocation wasn't really going to work and so i reached out to my old buddies and if hope dies what band was that that was was actually can i yeah yep i went up there and those guys were awesome and they were they were super kind and um i just think that ultimately like um you know um the, maybe the chemistry and like the I, I was probably a bit young for them at the time i yeah. imagine you know <laughs> yeah going up to shane frisbee and being like this 19 19 year old dude <laughs> i think maybe it wasn't a, a great fit and so 
I think he's exactly in... exactly 37 and a half feet tall is how tall he is. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many canai stories. We'll yeah. Save it for um, no, yeah, those yeah. dudes are those dudes are so awesome. Um but it, you know, ultimately it ended up being a blessing because I reached out to my old band and you know at the time uh I was like, you know anybody, any bands back home or in the general area looking? And they said, Well, yeah, our, our friends in the Red Death down in the southern tier, they they actually just signed a record contract with Metal Blade Records and um, some one thing or another happened and they lost a guitar player. So they, they're looking. Uh, and that's kind of how it began. I reached out to them and um, I was kind of in transition out of leaving Philadelphia, looking to move back to central New York. Um, and I really don't remember who exactly I reached out to. It was probably, I imagine it was you, Paul. I don't know if you recall, but. I don't recall either. I would tell you, I remember the first time we met when you came and tried out because we went and tried to catch cra- crayfish. In the middle That's of the night. right. In the middle yeah. of the night. Drunk. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, as I remember it, actually, uh, your your mom dropped you off at the Wegmans in Corning and I picked you up there without any yeah. idea what you looked like. But it was just like in the middle of Corning, New York. I was like, the kid with the black hoodie and two tight pants and black T-shirt on, that's got to be him. And yep. we were right. Wow. <laughs> and then did you guys go over to your apartment, Josh, and start kind of? Riffing? I think like, so. I think I made him yeah, lay on the sense. floor in there, like, and you know, gave him like a, a bowl of water or something to you know lap, <laughs> lap up or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly like I I, I it's funny because I remember knowing of the Red Death, but I don't recall ever even hearing you guys up to that point. But being at the time that you guys were seemed to be established and guys had a record contract. That was kind of like um, serendipitous and a kind of a perfect moment for me to to jump in. And so I don't know, it kind of it kind of worked out great. And uh, man, I think I think we had some pretty good chemistry right off the bat. We sure did. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's something I was kind of curious about you saying that about not being that familiar with their music. Like, was it hard for you to pick it up? Like, like, you know, learn all the songs and stuff right away? Or it sounds like you kind of like jumped right in then. Yeah, I don't I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it was pretty, I think learning the music and playing the music was fine. It was more just like, um, you know, it's a small world, central New York, upstate New York, you kind of know every band. And I was surprised that I wasn't more familiar because we had probably played shows shows up to that point. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had taken a, a pretty big mental hiatus from that world for a couple of years and um, focused on completely opposite things. And so coming back into it was just kind of like, reintegrating myself back into the music scene and um and uh yeah it was just a it was a pretty cool coincidence that they were looking at the same time and uh seemed to jump in pretty seamlessly and um many many a couch were slept on after that especially especially your house josh and probably your parents too paul yeah 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 (laughs) so you were with the band (laughs) parents didn't know you were with them for like all the touring for metal blade and stuff then pretty much yeah yeah so when i first joined when I first joined, actually, um, they were still kind of hashing out what was going to happen with the next record. And it, they really just, you guys may have talked about this already in your previous conversations, but, um, you know, I was under the impression that I was going to jump on and start writing a record. But the fact was that the Metal Blade really wanted them to piece together external frames of reference, track a couple new tracks, go and uh, remaster, record a few new tracks and just get something uh, get something out there. Um, and so right. really like yep. the first, I'd say the the vast majority of the touring that I did with the Red Death was on that material that I had no part in writing. 
um, but I was along for that little stint in the studio um, for the re-recording and stuff. And I was pretty integrated in the band at that point when uh, when all that was happening. I kind of came right in as all the metal blade wheels were turning. Yeah, and what were your thoughts on the way things kind of fizzled out there? I guess since we kind of covered that on the on the last the first part with these guys. Man, how do we encapsulate that and not ramble on for hours? I think um, you're talking about like the being dropped by Metal Blade Records, and yeah, it's like one of those it's one of those things where I thought I thought a lot about it in hindsight provides a lot of clarity, but it's like I think this just the state of um, hardcore metal metalcore deathcore the the transitioning of record companies to the internet like the that whole world was changing so vastly and you know my thoughts on it were do i do i think we had an amazing experience experience being part of metal blade records no do i think i had an, an amazing experience playing with the red death throughout those years yes but i think that at that time it kind of seemed like the the trend for record companies were, were to sign a million bands hope that one or two of them would click and sort of say, put all the resources into those bands and then let the other bands kind of fall by the wayside. And I don't think it had anything to do with the potential or the quality of the bands that were falling by the wayside. I think it more had to do with business. And I just kind of think we were the, the wrong band for Metal Blade at the wrong time and the wrong era. Um, for, and, for uh, you know, I thought about something uh, yeah, yeah. over the last couple of days was that, I remember distinctly is that we were also very unsavvy with being like our, our own internet marketers. We yeah. were dog shit. Yeah, we were kind of stubborn. We, we, we actually we thought we were thought too cool for school we didn't, to do it, I think, which was yeah, because like which was a huge mistake. Remember um, so. when we were we played Arizona, we played with some band called Job for a Cowboy. And some we band, yeah. kept hearing about them on the road <laughs> because they were so hyped up on my yeah uh, but i know he's saying he's talking about job for a cowboy was very good about marketing themselves on myspace the then social media at the time and we and they were a good band they were you know and they were they were also really young and pushing that extreme metal played by like hardcore kids thing forward and, but we were kind of like you know we're not doing that and it was just like and i think about that now and just go why why would we not do that it was easy <laughs> we had dominic with his nose and a, and a t-mobile sidekick every goddamn day all day long he probably would have loved to do it if we set him loose on it, um, but we just didn't do it. Yeah, it's yeah, funny man. that you guys would talk about like the the promoting on social media because I was doing an, an interview tonight that's going to be posted before this. Like, and it's here we are, like 15 years later, and I'm still trying to navigate through like promoting a podcast and figuring out how yeah. you go through all these channels now, like what the best way to do it. You know what I mean? It's just so many different yeah. things now, and it's just funny that you guys are having the same thing like so many years ago you know yep so yeah um paul i think we lost you for a second there but you're talking about uh job for a cowboy and and how well i was just using them as a yeah as an example that that back then that band i believe i mean they had a hustle and they did well obviously in their career but when we had heard about them it was all about myspace and their self-promoting and yeah and we just yeah weren't a part of that at all so yeah you know that's what that's what he was saying. I can relate to that with again with this current age. So, how long? Like, I guess after getting dropped, like, what, did you guys already have plans to to like re record a new album? Like, and like during the process of everything happening, like, I know you were talking about how you kind of wanted to go in a different direction, so to speak. 
and Metal Blade wasn't really exactly excited about it. Like, so how long was the process between that and like finding a new label to do like a this album? Yeah, with? yeah. but yeah, and that, that was something is that we were really excited to when we were gonna write a new album was like, well, we got Aaron in the band, and prior, uh, before like Aaron is is uh, easily the best guitar player the Red Death ever saw. So it was like one of those where like we're gonna you know we were hoping to get more more technicality and more uh flourish is i think you know and and i think we wanted to be more extreme in general and go away from the metal core part and um so and again i i we, that's what we reported to them what we wanted and uh, i don't think that really uh, revved their engines by any means so correct <clears throat> yeah i think at the, at the time when we were on metal blade there was very much like a there was like a, a standard format for bands that worked and they it's just interesting because I, I look at metal blade and i think that they're such an eclectic label and they have such a legacy of incredible artists but for whatever reason at that time when we were on metal blade records it really just felt like it really felt like american idol in the metal world like they were looking they were looking for to check eight boxes and the Red Death was not checking those boxes, the As I Lay Dying boxes, the Job for a Cowboy boxes, the kind of modern um, full package. We weren't, we weren't really that polished and uh, we weren't that cohesive looking and we weren't that flashy on stage. We were just kind of a metal band. Yeah. And we were in a transitional phase too as a metal band. We were transitioning with new members. We were, our sound was evolving. We were you know, becoming road warriors at the time. And I, I think we were at a pretty good point musically. We were all feeling pretty tight and good and ready to buckle down and write a badass record. And I think that, you know, in, in, in my mind, in hindsight, I really feel like it was Metal Blade's loss for sure. They didn't stick with us for one more record because I, I, I think we're all pretty happy and proud of the direction we were going um, in a little bit. It ultimately went. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it just it was it was all a timing thing, and really yeah. no hard feelings about that era oh, yeah. um, at all whatsoever. It was just um, that's this business, and we just came in at a weird time, um, business wise, to the metal music industry. It's crazy because you had the exact same answer too earlier that that those guys had the other day, and you obviously haven't heard the recording yet uh, about how like labels like metal blade specifically would sign like five bands and just find the one that would that would stick out basically and and that's pretty much exactly what josh and paul said the other day when yeah. they were talking about the situation too looking back on the whole situation is if you're thinking about like sticking out on metal blade like what about ferret like how did how did how would something like all that like come about or whatever well um ferret happened because we started once we recorded a three or was it four song demo um yeah. three song well, yeah, yeah for, uh, for shopping around, we sent press package out to a bunch of labels, I'm sure including like prosthetic records, relapse, candlelight, which we were really interested in because we were really getting into that black and death metal sound that people were doing and whatever we liked. And uh, anyway, so candlelight, some guys at candlelight got our demo. And then those guys at candlelight were starting a label that was more metalcore, like centered. And those guys, Siege of Muta Records, eventually signed an American distribution deal with Ferret. So we became associated with Ferret through like three degrees of, of kind of uh, separation. And it was, it was serendipitous. It was good because I think I was really excited. I was excited to be on Ferret, like, or at least to be associated with that label. Um, 
but to, to be honest, we didn't work intimately with them. Uh, we were mostly working with, uh, was it Jamie at Siege of Amita in yep. terms of? Yeah. Yeah. And, like and that was based out of, that was um, in English or London or I don't, somewhere. Yeah, in I've heard of English before. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was honestly difficult then as well, because this was like, um, again, like the communication world has evolved a lot since then. Um, right. and our, our ability to use it as well. But, you know, I think, uh, that was a, you know, they were, they were supportive and good, but we ultimately, we kind of went with the first, the first folks who want to release our record. We really wanted to just get it out there. And we were, we were happy at the time, uh, to yeah, go. I, I, I remember being pretty pleased with the guys over there. I mean, I was, yeah, but yeah, there wasn't much helping. Yeah. And so yeah, they they bankrolled Godmakers. They yeah they they funded it. We wrote and recorded it. And God, I'm trying to were we did we ever even do a full tour on that album? I don't think we did. Yeah. Did we? So what what I don't know if it was necessarily on that album. Catalepsy. But it was it was about uh it would have been just before when um I was still in the band, but then you got we had a tour booked with Whitechapel, and I was like I, I was you know so financially destitute at least so so i felt then that i was like i don't think i can make it out and then that's when mark first filled in for me and you guys did that tour that full tour with Whitechapel, yeah. um where we had half of the songs for god makers i think at that time yeah um and then ultimately after that is when i quit and then mark took over full time and then you guys finished writing that album so you did at least that tour with them which would have been a big tour probably the biggest tour you know, while they were blowing up, uh, Whitechapel was that the double? Penn. Was that the double U.S. tour? The two, the two routes back to back. I think so. I think it was long. Yeah, I think it was like almost two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have uh, images of that that tour pass. I could even bring it up. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a long tour. During the break, uh, we took we had to take a little break the other day when when the two of us were talking. Josh and I were talking about you like the Europe thing. And now, now I'm, I'm still even more floored by the, you guys never having been to Europe with, with there being like a European label involved and stuff too. Like, you, do, like it wasn't just something you guys just didn't like talk to them about or anything, I guess. Or? We, we well, pushed, we pushed hard, man. It was like, we, we pushed, we tried to push for ourselves for a long time to get over to Europe and Metal Blade had done a tremendous amount of press for us over there. Remember at one point sitting in their office in Simi Valley and one of the girls uh, Mark, someone in the marketing department or whatever, press department, sat down and they they keep these big three ring binders of all the press and stuff and clippings and stuff that they send out. And she had this humongous binder of like all the European press that we had, and we had tons yeah. of it. So you know, and I and I, it always blew my mind that um, that we weren't pushed more over there, especially if if we weren't fitting super well into the the trends and deathcore and american metal that was happening at the time we certainly would have appealed to a european audience and so yeah despite our our best efforts and our um our constant nagging we we never were able to um jump on anything um we kind of just kept we did most of our tours with the same booking agent in the u.s and um for them for most of them we, we really played with a lot of hardcore bands i'd say about like 50 percent of our tours we did were out there with like a mix of variety of metal bands but uh, through our booking agent we really just play with a lot of more hardcore bands and so i think that's a, another big thing that plays into like my hindsight and the picture of how the red death panned out was just um playing to great kids and appreciative kids and awesome shows 
um, but not necessarily playing in front of our, our audience. And uh, it's fascinating to think about now because my, my wife is a co-owner of a marketing company and she, I, had, I listen to her have conversations about this stuff all the time about all the savvy and tricks and stuff that go into marketing these days and about how it's just all about getting your product, your thing, your music, whatever it is in front of the right target people. And um, ultimately at the end of the day, it's just like, man, we, that was, that did not happen for us back then. <laughs> uh, we did have uh, vague promises of going to Walking Metal Fest, I believe. Remember there was always like a carrot being dangled to get to Europe. And uh, but the, and part of the truth of us not getting to Europe was we, during Godmakers, we were having a hard time staying together as a band. So we didn't we didn't last long on Godmakers. So like a lot of things, I guess if we had stuck around longer, that could have happened. But that's sort of a, like a good point. So, yeah. What was it? So there was like a year left in the band or so after Godmakers came out, then it sounds like. Yeah, I think that yeah, sounds right. correct. The final show was in we, 2008 or nine. I think it was like eight. That was the one at the in Syracuse the Halloween show. Yeah, at the half penny. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ultimately, it ended up being the last one anyway. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because when I was prepping for this, I I remember I saw that for the final show, the, the Halloween thing, and then I, like I put in there, I know we booked a show here uh, with Modern Life Is War, like probably six months <laughs> before that on their final tour, yep. um, at the Penny Arcade, which that had to have been one of the last years. That the penny arcade really did shows too i think was 2008 i don't i don't recall yeah, there being too no much shows there. there anymore huh that's a shame <laughs> it's that not is. a club anymore it's some like i don't even know what it is in there it's the same wow. it's the same setup and everything but i don't think it's well but there might not be a stage inside but it's still like you can it's that long still, way yeah exactly yeah. Huh. but i think a it's lot like, of fun memories of going to shows in that place you know yeah yeah there were some good ones there so yeah we played that yeah we played that venue a lot the the modern life is war show was with stakes alive too right I think so. My memory's starting to get a little foggy now because some of these shows are during. Did I years. play in that show? Did I play bass at that show? There was a couple of shows I played bass in at the end. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was one in Binghamton for sure that I remember playing bass in. Gosh, why didn't you just jump in as the drummer and say, "Dude, you know what? <laughs> I've thought about that." Where I was like, "Fuck, I should just learned drums and got back in the band." <laughs> I was like, yeah. "How hard could it be?" Yeah, how hard could it be? That's right. <laughs> Super easy. You know, didn't, didn't uh, I think rather famously, doesn't the dude for, that plays drums in Lamb of God like not play drums for like two years or like before Lamb of God or some shit like that? Yeah. He's like absolutely like underqualified, but he just learned drums really fast. Oh, that could have been, been us. Been your story, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we played the other modern life is worse. And I could have counted to four. It would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> Syracuse to your same fall. Yeah. And that was with another breath. Yeah. And so that I, was at, I think it's a Polish club or something. You guys remember that place? Uh, no. No. <laughs> I remember there's a bar in the basement and I went and like drank my fair share as I did. Yeah, sure. And I like walked out and puked and looked up and Mike LeGros was there from, you know, Freya. You guys remember Mike? Mm -hmm. And we became like best buds that day. <laughs> was that before or after your set? After. Yeah. I think there was a night you guys played at the montage in like 2006 when I had a few too many drinks. And I, yeah. 
I don't know if I moshed for you guys, which I don't think you guys are really a band I would have moshed to, but I think I just decided to because I was drunk and I had a similar. That's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the montage uh, was that probably with borrowed time. Yeah, Sketchy Dave, I'm pretty sure, booked it. He booked, yeah. he was booking a lot of shows here that year. It's like 2006. So mm-hmm. I, I lived like right down the street from there at the time. So I had an apartment. I would just walk to, there was a few, because Brock, I don't know if you remember the band Inherents. They weren't really like hardcore at all, but the dude yeah. Brock from that band, he he did he he ran that club for a while. He helped out with like another DIY venue like years later. So he was always kind of like attached to the hardcore scene. Um, but anyways, he owned it then. And I went to a lot of shows when he owned oh. it. But you know, ever since other owners, you know, it is what it is. But <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so, I'll tell you, Rochester's still got it all over Syracuse these days. You guys still got a lot more music than we do. So good good for you. Yeah, there are a lot of venues here nowadays. There's definitely more than there was back in the day, like for the, the guy oh, really? like, you yeah. know, so was, were there any more tours before you guys kind of started to hang it up, though? Because uh, we're talking like 2008 ish, uh, like summer era, I think we're like the Modern Life is War shows. So there was there was a catalepsy tour, a band called Catalepsy. Um, and guys, refresh my memory. We had to get another drummer, right? Yeah, those... you, you got another drummer, and I don't remember what ultimately spurred that. I can I was, either. And I, I, I was also gap here. My memory, my memory is sharp on this one. Okay. I, oh, good, good. So, so we did. We threw our bass player. He had a had a buddy who was a really good drummer. He was actually great. He was very young. We had gone and he had tried out for the band and he had learned to play a few songs and he'd done a pretty good job and just needed some time with the band. But I think we were feeling the pressure to get out and start touring on Godmakers because we really wanted to get the music out there and we wanted to jump on a tour. So we really pressured this this uh, this guy to learn fast. And he, Graham had some pretty big shoes to fill, some really busy, fast, intricate drumming. And he, he did a pretty good job. He, he was a, a a really good solid drummer he's just um i think we forced him out on a tour too soon so we did uh try to go out on a tour we loaded all of our gear actually his parents were like horse people they yeah, had some, yeah they had some horses and like they, a centaur they, yeah like a couple, a couple <laughs> yeah, <laughs> centaurs so we we packed all of our stuff into a horse trailer and tried to take it out on a tour and i don't even think we made it further um than the midwest before we ultimately sort of realized that we had kind of prematurely gone out on the tour and that we weren't up to snuff and i think we had just gotten used to being so tight and so uh to a certain level that i I think we weren't ready to to go out with this new drummer despite the fact that he was really good he just needed more time with us and um rather than come back and uh and tighten up and practice more i think that we had all just kind of communally agreed that it was time to time to throw in the towel um and yeah it was we were pretty uh i i have a memory of this by then i wasn't directly involved with band but since i sort of left so amicably and was so good friends and paul and i lived just you know fucking right up the street from each other and kinds of shit like that i remember just coming to see rehearsal at and it was at his house the i can't remember his name um the the drummer's house and i remember coming and it was i think after that attempt and you guys were still trying to go on a little more and and whatever and i was just like chilling and i remember him having some trouble like with stuff that should have been nailed down by now by then and i remember talking to paul later and being like i don't know man that's that's uh that's not probably what it's like he could he could probably get there but it was like 
he needs to focus. And I think he was wasn't he literally eighteen? Like, yeah, he, yeah, he was. He was incredibly like small. Like came from a very small world, and so like being in the, yeah. in the van with him for long periods of time was um, awesome, dude. Really nice guy. Like really yeah, yeah. Hard, kind, like happy dude. But just yeah, he was always really happy. Yeah, yeah. But it just it the 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 personality mesh just wasn't there, and um, I don't think we were ready to. I don't think we were ready to uh, mentor and take him along and experience that part of his life growing up <laughs> to go out on tour with a band we we're i think we were pretty salty by then and i don't think yeah, we were. had the patience or tolerance for that and so we yeah we we decided that to just throw in the towel and i, I god i don't really have like i think it was pretty i think it was pretty unanimous that everybody was kind of kind of ready to call it quits well yeah because we, we were so used to touring so much and then we you know we didn't have Graham who was a major talent and like kind of couldn't replace him. We weren't getting younger. Yeah. We could, we kind of, we, we couldn't afford to like wait out the storm. Right. Like I think a lot, like I know individually everybody had a different idea of what the red death could be. We thought about maybe just slowing things down and playing a few shows every now and then, but it didn't seem right to not be a full time touring band. Cause that's all like, that's all we knew. So we didn't know how to throttle it down. Totally. And I don't know if I wanted to anyways. We, we were all so poor. We were just like eating one can of raviolis, living off of a $5 <laughs> buyout every day that it was yeah. like, we didn't have any way to sustain ourselves in real life to do it part-time. So it was either like keep being poor and being fed by promoters at shows on beer and little Caesars pizza or go get yeah. real. And uh, we didn't, there was, and at that point, I think a lot of us, honestly, well, for me, I didn't, I didn't live in the same area. I don't even think I had a car at the time. So it didn't, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for, for me personally, you guys, you guys kind of lived in the same general area. Needless to say, it was uh, unfortunate. And I wish that we were able to do a few more big tours, Europe, especially. One thing <laughs> I've never really thought to ask like a band, like about like breaking up and stuff, like when you're on a label is like, do you have to like contact the label? Like before you like say anything, like tell them first that you're like going to like break up and stop you know, being a band or do you just like make the announcement? Like, I think that there's no rules. Even I, I would almost assume, even if you're big, like you know, good, like example, like every time I die with recent news, like yeah. I would assume there's, of course, some legal things to work out to, so, when if there's time. But God, I don't. Think I remember. I remember distinctly. So I can't speak for what happened when, when they were on Siege of Amita and the Ferret distribution deal, but on the the Metal Blade thing. So we, we, I said before we had signed a five uh, uh, album record deal, and one of the things was that we were also all five of us at the time Aaron you also signed that deal right I don't remember if you actually signed it or if it was just four of us and then you I don't remember but regardless let's just say all five because yeah, if you did you, the news would have applied to you I anyway. probably but it was, did. I probably but it was did. uh yeah I think so but it would have all five of us would have also been liable like let's say let's say they didn't drop us but we did break up but let's say we, we were a golden goose then we would have been liable to release albums uh, with them under future projects, um, which was like that's that's a good point. Yeah, there's a there's a and so if I was like, okay. all right, fuck this, I hate uh, Aaron and Paul and Graham and I, we're going back to we're just starting like the Bath Trio, uh, whatever, and like uh, Paul's gonna learn bass and fucking whatever, then there would have been another Metal Blade thing. We wouldn't have had a choice. So 
um, until we accrued enough albums to um, eat that up. And then if Aaron then went and was like, well, I'm going to do my own, his, his album would have had to be Metal Blade also. So, yeah, I think there's like an industry term for like that label getting first choice on like that. There wasn't anything like that on the, on the last album you guys did with the other label. Well, I don't think there was, but even if there was, Ferret was dissolving right around that time too. Yeah. So we were kind of, we, there was like a lot of things happening at once that kind of yeah. took the wind out of our sails and Ferret seemed to suddenly become inactive and uh, we weren't, yeah, I think, I think the doors just shut down on, on all levels. Yeah. Right that's, one thing I was, that's one thing I was really confused by that last label because if you look it up now, they're they're distributed through like Century Media, I think, or something like that. So, yeah. it was, and then when Which it says, boy, that would have been great, huh? Yeah, Century Media. <laughs> Wrong time. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to pour the salt right in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we didn't have great communication with that label back then. No, terrible. Also, because they were in the UK, we couldn't afford long phone calls. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't like then. We could have yeah, done this, like, or you guys just zoomed them. them. Yeah, I couldn't have zoomed them. <laughs> like uh, we were just sort of like, and you know, they they didn't sign us with a lot of support. Like they weren't getting us tours, really. Uh, which I'm not even saying we expected those things from them. But yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a strong relationship. Well, so I, yeah, honestly, when we broke up, I don't even know if we called them. <laughs> <laughs> they might have read on Lambo, honestly. Yeah, yeah, we probably just told Lambo. Yeah. <laughs> so. How many how many last shows were there? Just the one in Bath, or did you guys like do like a like a last like weekend or like week long run of like your favorite spots or anything like that? God. That's a good question. I think there was definitely one in Bath. One Bath. The, was that at the pickle, Josh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that then, was and then something that I'm always like really happy that happened. I don't know what that Mark is, but that Mark, Mark, who had who had taken taken my old spot and, and made it his own, and they wrote uh, a bunch of songs without me that those songs honestly are probably my favorite red death songs like without without any sort of like smoke up anybody's asses um and so uh but you know i think uh paul and uh aaron and, and everybody kind of bent paul's ear or uh, mark's ear for me and i got to play some songs in some of the last shows i didn't and uh you know songs that i was in the band that were we wrote for and I'm always like really grateful for that because that's like yeah, that some, was, real, that was some real uh, Uncle Rico from fucking uh, <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite Energy, where I'm just like, you know, I could be like, oh, I got to do this one more time and throw that football over that mountain. So, yeah, um, <laughs> so I'm always like really grateful for that. So there was that one. There was one. There was some stuff that happened with like lineup change because Jordan dropped out at one point because I think he was not pleased with you guys deciding to part ways with the new drummer that he was friends with. So then I played bass for a couple of shows and then, oh, wow. I don't even remember that. That's and then because then it was like, you talked to Graham to coming back and it, it was, it was like weird for a good while. And I was just kind of, I was just kind of like working and I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of like this band stringed instrument understudy for a while. Um, and it, yeah. it just worked out that way. We didn't, we did not die quietly in our sleep. We, no. yeah, we, we, like, we had a lot of tumors lanced off. We, <laughs> uh, there was like shallow breathing for about four months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, good days, I don't, think, days I don't think there was like a, like an, a real string of shows, like right in a row. I think it was oh. kind of just like one here, a couple weeks, one there, a couple weeks. And then, you know, cause we, yeah, we really didn't. Yeah. <laughs> we were, our wings were clipped. 
Um, and then, yeah, then it was the Syracuse show. And then we were out. We was out. That was it. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of circle back around to like any sort of legacy questions, I guess, if there are any. But like, have you guys done any projects uh, since uh, Red Death? Or I guess I should say the Red Death, because there's going to be a random <laughs> listener that's going to get really confused by this interview and be like, this isn't the fucking Red Death, the thrash metal band. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Red on Spotify. And for the record, that band's really good. Yeah, and, yeah uh, I don't. I mean, well, yeah, they're, they're all right. And I don't know why they chose that name because <laughs> I feel yeah, because like, it was like you could easily find a lot of us. So yeah, that's, that's like the I, first I thing we did. They put yeah. out an album uh, in like twenty, I guess it was in twenty fourteen or so, um, yeah. and twenty fifteen. And like, I got so many messages one day that people were like you guys put out a new album and i was like what i was like literally going to college i'm like what are you talking about i'm like i'm like barely play guitar lately and uh and i'm like there's, there's a red death album on spotify this came up in my feed and i was like i looked and i was like no that is not absolutely us at all whatsoever <laughs> so. yeah yeah i guess if you guys want to go around if anybody did anything any projects after the red death I don't think anybody did. Really. Maybe, Jordan, yeah. I mean, maybe Jordan would be the most likely candidate, but I, yeah. I have not. No one um, here. No one present. I, I, was I, I had a couple things to start band. and fizzle out. So I, yeah. I had one. The, the most promising thing was a few years ago, uh, I started something with our friend Brendan, who, who played uh, uh, guitar in Freya, uh, Pat from uh, Polar Bear Club, and um, Brad Gorham from... Uh, the band engineer and we were going to do something but it was going to be side project to everybody's like whatever the hell else we were doing and then didn't i go to one we, of those practices uh you may have yeah actually yeah, that and, was, yeah and uh it was we wrote like three songs maybe and but then i got accepted to like the the medical professional program uh, the thing and they were like the the gorums uh, were opening their store in syracuse great music store if you go to syracuse by the way go check that out and it was just like this perfect storm of like nah this ain't gonna fucking happen so um that just went away so that was like the only thing i talked about with uh our our, our boy shane uh from Kanai a while ago about doing something with him because he i live in massachusetts now and he lives out he lives out further east than me but then COVID happened, so we never did anything. So that was really cool. Um, so no, I haven't done anything myself other than talk about it in a few years. So, Paul, you're not, yeah. Paul, you're not trying to get the vocals uh, uh, worn back. I mean, I I miss it. I love I love like death metal, analog death metal, and I um, hung out and played very briefly with Inhumantis from uh, Syracuse. I actually ended up doing some artwork for them, but. And then I did guest vocals on a Frey record. Uh, that was fun. And but no, nothing. I've always wanted to, but and now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I'd totally be like a weekend warrior. <laughs> like, yeah. Just phone in my vocals and like just hate my dad from a distance. <laughs> the irony now I have like the nicest guitar stuff that I've ever owned. Same, same dude. Same. I could, probably, <laughs> I could probably track half the album from my from yeah. my house at this point. Yeah, so I think I, know. I think it would be amazing if we could pull it off someday, even just re recording a studio album. I don't think that I would want to do it under under the name The Red Death. I think it'd be fun to create a whole new a whole new project, but with all the same folks, would be would be awesome. We, I'm in, I'm into it. We could call it like Puke Zombie or something. We and we we did have <laughs> one final thing that we were really excited. To, we did 
talk about releasing something back what is it it would have been around that time when i was trying to start something with brendan was we were supposed to do a reunion show that was like uh 10 years since or you know eight years since we had played what it was going to be with uh the band if hope dies because they had also like been defunct for a while uh ed gein was rumored to be on it and they ultimately never played and engineer And um, the day of that show, uh, a certain member of our band decided that he was not going to arrive at that. So we had spoken that about like at length, like maybe if the show goes well, you know, like, let's see if we, if we, we be cohesive and like see if we can nail this down and maybe just write some stuff and be be like that weekend warrior style band like Paul was just talking about. And, you know, who cares if we release an album anymore? Nobody cares about albums that we can release it digitally and, and people can have it that way. Uh, and then after um, that occurred where we just practiced for weeks on end to get up to speed again, and then ultimately it led to nothing. We were just like, all right, well, I guess it's just that is really, 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 really it now. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a huge bummer because we really if, if I, I also recall the same sentiment. I had every intention mentally like jump back into doing the red death obviously in a more like the capacity that you said of like writing some records or songs and like having fun and not not requiring like tour extensive touring so yeah that was a bummer were you already based in like uh philly or new york at that point too paul i was in syracuse at that time no no you were philadelphia you were definitely philadelphia. philadelphia Yeah, and yeah. so we we had actually had sort of a, a convergence uh, back around around upstate New York at the time, except for Paul. So that's why we were like, we could we could make this work. We could do it because Aaron yeah, and I right. lived we back half Syracuse. a mile away from each other at the time. Right. You know, we were just talking about again. This was you know Mark being generous with his. And we were because we're like we can have fucking three guitar players. We're just going to release albums and play shows once in a while. Who gives a shit? Like that was the general sentiment. I was like, yeah, yeah. Play full-time rhythm guitar. And then he and Mark can fucking battle leads all day long. It'd be awesome. So like, but yeah, we never, we never got to experiment with that. So I guess at this point, if there's anything you guys think uh, we missed, uh, obviously Aaron, you weren't here for the first half of the conversation. Um, or if you guys want to just talk about like what you think of as like, for lack of a better word, like a legacy of the band, like, like that type of thing. Did, did I miss? I thought I saw on your uh, on your write up that some questions were asked about like favorite places to play. Is that something you guys talked about in the previous? Yeah, I mentioned it to them the first time around. But yeah, you go ahead and, and you should put yours in now. Oh man, want to hear yeah. that. Well, I'm curious to know what you guys said because I feel like there's a lot. Because you know, even to sum up to sum this whole thing thing up on a positive note, because all the all the funky stuff that happened and all the failures, we, we did have a really amazing time for a few years there touring and we had some really incredible shows and we had some really awesome folks, regulars and regular cities that we play that made it extremely mm-hmm. fun uh, that I'll, that I remember very well. It seems that stuck in my memory a lot better than even the bad times. Um, yeah. But curious to know what you guys said. So I don't repeat the same well, one. I, I, I think the abridged version I said uh, one was El Paso and meeting Jose there. Yeah. Um, and him just being an awesome guy i said yeah, well, i think one of our biggest and best shows ever which was ironically where aaron ended up uh, being near for a long time was boise idaho with the one time we played there was a really big huge awesome show for some reason you no know, i have pictures from that show and it's yeah yeah you're right josh it just looks like a 
you know what's funny about Boise? What I've learned about that place since I lived there for so long is that Boise is the biggest city in Idaho, but it's the equivalent of playing in Binghamton or something where it's like not a lot of good acts come through that town because it's so far out of the way. Yeah. That even though even though it's a very large city, though the people really appreciate it and everyone comes out and has a great time because that that not an often it's it's not a regular stop on a metal tour. It's very out of the way geographically. Well, that's so that's kind of what we touched on yesterday that um, we couldn't name exactly like exact places, but usually smaller towns, smaller cities were yeah. always just the best to play. And it, um, I would also give a shout out to some unique places playing like um, at the cave in Bucksport, Maine. Oh, um, yeah. So awesome. Yeah. That was yeah. Good and like that had such a history with like a lot of hardcore metal bands that of all, you know, sizes uh, would show up to. So like kind of got to see a lot of stuff up there. Kathy who ran it was really interesting. The whorehouse in El Paso, which where we I think we got to see a few crime cleanup scenes. We got to see Shane from Kanai save our lives from some from probably a drug cartel. Yeah, um, dude. And I had one of the singer of Ion Dissonance take a shit in my microwave in my room. But that honestly, yeah. I could have left it and I would have never been charged, nor would anybody have noticed. So it did. Yeah. From a hotel's perspective, it probably wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but yeah man so many like so many great like daytona beach florida was always always yeah playing little tiny spots on the uh right on the boardwalk there um always had it awesome i mean that was like kind of well it was daytona right or was it yeah it was smash face paul smash face paul split yeah he split his head open on your guitar do you 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 have those photos paul uh, they're they're gone to the sands of time, but yeah, there used to be these great photos so of me sad. just covered in blood, standing over a, a crowd of people, and <laughs> we were young and happy to be grim. So. Which which that was also one of these like real dire situations because we all had a guitar, and Aaron's guitar was broken, <laughs> and I, I don't he had to he had to play the rest of the show with a an a, a, an immense amount of duct tape to hold the tuner on for that night. <laughs> And it, yeah. it did not get fully fixed until I did it. What, like five years ago? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, wow. You cleaned up recently. I have I a, some pictures from that day right here. Anyway, we'll talk. We'll show I would love later. to get my hands on those photos. Like if I could have yeah. any, one red death photo, it would be the photo of you with your horns in the air with blood, your shirtless body covered in blood <laughs> from the gash in your head. Yeah. Uh, that's how I like to remember the band. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. You know what? Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, I just remember coming out of that show and there was like fire, the fire department was out there with lights flashing, and Paul ended up getting some stitches in his head. And as it goes on tour, you bounce from city to city. And I I one of my I tell this story a lot, but um, rather than us go to a hospital for Paul to get the stitches taken out of head, I remember distinctly pulling them out of his head with a pair of just filthy toenail clippers. Yeah, thank <laughs> I think it was like Dominic Dominic's uh, dad's house in Texas or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do have pictures. Um, if you want to let me screen share, Josh, I could show. I don't have the ones of me on stage, but we can do that later, too. But yeah, yeah, I totally forgot you removed those staples. Thank you, Aaron. Health insurance is a bitch. Didn't have it then. <laughs> was yeah. the blood was the blood a regular occurrence, or was that more of a, a uh, not really? No, no, no. We were was, at and there was so, there was kind of a, you know but... a head a head wound will bleed and bleed, and so he yeah. just, he just hit his forehead or whatever. Or yeah. I guess it was probably into your scalp, right? It was, yeah, yeah. right. So yeah, scalp is gonna bleed a lot, and 
Right. They called the fire department and they came up with a huge fire truck because they didn't have an ambulance available. So there's just pictures of us standing around this, you know, this whole scene. We're just chuckling and laughing. The state, the town probably just paid thousands of dollars just to show up to find a a kid that was happy to be bleeding on people. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. Oh, nothing, man. I could, I could honestly go all night with my, with uh, venues and shows that I like, but we, we don't have to get that long-winded. Go ahead. No, if you want, are there any of your favorite places that you're thinking of offhand? Or? Tons of them, man. Well, uh, the Masquerade in Atlanta, Georgia, I always loved that. It was an incredible venue. It was like an old, I don't know if it was. I think a it was cotton a cotton mill or something. Cotton like mill, that. like huge old gigantic stone building, and they had kind of converted yeah. part of it into like a, haunted walkthrough but it had like three four venues in it of all different sizes and whenever you play there you're all jacked up with your band and you play whatever depending on your tour package you play the big stage a small stage we kind of played them all um on different tours but there was always something going on there like parties 80s nights two three shows at a time i just remember really loving experiences playing uh, at that venue and we would always go back to the same places because we were always booked through the same booking agent and so it was always um, every tour we did, we kind of visited the same spots. So rarely changed it up. Yeah, I, I have a a, we this with- a a favorite memory uh, that I wasn't even directly involved with, but it was the time that Aaron uh, tricked a small uh, bar into thinking uh, the another band on the tour was Simple Plan to getting free drinks all night. Oh, dude! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a very long. That's a long story, but it was you know it was that was pretty fun yeah. to hear about. You were like I, I went somewhere else for the night town. just to stay in a hotel yeah. or whatever the fuck. And, uh, and we were I think we were in like tu- Tupelo or something like that. Yeah, and we were like Mississippi. Yeah, we were in like Tupelo, <laughs> Mississippi, and I had I had kind of van hopped. This happened from time to time. I would jump in with another band, and I jumped in with uh I would even I would even name the band, but I jumped in with another band, and they were bored. I was bored. We had a bunch of like lukewarm schlitz malt liquor cans in the back of their van and we we're like yeah we'll just kind of all hang out and stay up have a few beers and have some laughs and uh after we drank our four cans of warm malt liquor we're like oh fuck what are we gonna do now we're in downtown tupelo mississippi there's like a bunch of like um you know drug addicts walking around and we have nowhere to stay or nothing to do and so we kind of came we concocted this crazy plan of pretending to be a famous band and waltzing into a, a bar and seeing what we could come up with and um we kind of like had a little pep talk and we came up with a big plan and we went in i went in as the manager uh, and these were french canadians <laughs> mind you and so they all spoke french and um so we were like well what band is french canadian and we thought of uh, about a simple plan i'll go in with their merch guy and we'll we'll talk to the manager we'll tell them we're a simple plan and you know <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked out pretty well we we, we <laughs> they gave us their vip room um, we walked in, the manager came right up. I had all the guys put their hoodies on. They escorted us in their VIP room where we sat around a fucking table without a dollar in our pocket. And we're like, are they expecting <laughs> us to maybe we're going to order a bunch of bottles of booze and like spend a bunch of money? Because that was not, this plan is backfiring very quickly on us. <laughs> and so after being in that room and having no money, we're like, well, let's just go out and mingle with the locals here. And um, yeah, everybody went out and kind of played the story up pretty well cut to we were on like five six different tabs and they kept the bar open after hours for us with all the folks that were there and uh yeah we we got we got drunk and found ourselves something to do that night and um a lot of stuff went down that evening that evening with certain band band members and local 
um, local folks. Attractions? Uh, attractions. Uh, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember happened, but the, there was the one text message I, I recall that yeah, was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. The, the best part of this story was uh, when all was said and done, and everybody woke up the next day and sort of pieced together the afternoon with fragmented stories and, um, you know, just couldn't couldn't believe how the night transpired. One of the one of the dudes in the band received a text message when we were driving to the next show, and uh, <laughs> all it said it was from some random number. Apparently, some of these dudes had given their numbers out to some some folks, some ladies at the bar. And he just got he just got a text message, and all it said was "y'all fake." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't be able to pull it right. off now, like 22, 2022. I'm even surprised you could pull it off then. With like, people could have googled that shit. Yeah, you know what I mean, but those two below, two below Mississippi, man. They, they... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we weren't, and, and we weren't in the we weren't in the night at the Roxbury Club. We were we were in the club. Um, that no one wanted to hang out at. <laughs> That's like something out of like Always Sunny or some shit, man. You know, pulling a scam like that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I could totally see them pulling something like that. That's hilarious, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds like you guys really could go go back and forth with these gems all night. But uh, uh, what else? Like, I guess, what do you guys have for like final thoughts and stuff before we give like shout outs and closing comments? I guess. I'll let Paul go first. Um, I'll just say, if you never listen to Godmakers by the Red Death, it it's not that bad. We never toured on it, really. And uh, I think it's still good. Give it a go, guys. That's my shtick. Josh, Josh, you go. Uh, I, I was going to say, you know, if anybody who, like, gives a damn about us ever, I appreciate that. Um, you know, uh and uh, I always be really grateful to being in the band with these guys, um, especially, you know, in the latter years of the band where we kept friends and I still let me play guitar every once in a while. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if you fucking want to be in a fucking metal band, just fucking do it nowadays. It's way easier to record guitars and you don't have to go to the village gate and have some weirdo do it. So just fucking <laughs> do it. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one more um, thing. Nope, Sorry, nope. Aaron. I yeah, have yeah. some housekeeping housekeeping from yesterday. Uh, the, another day forgotten. I said the first show in Rochester at St. Joe's House of Hospitality. We covered Standfast. He equals thousands. I just I just wanted to put that in, on the record. That was okay. the song we covered. <laughs> All right, we can resume. Oh yeah, and and I'll 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 like the the two albums they're on like Spotify and Apple Music and all that shit. So just like go listen to them, fucking pirate them off YouTube. Who gives a shit at this point? Yeah, go enjoy them if you like them. That's great. I just want to say one more thing before Aaron gives his final thoughts. Um, we're trying to track down all these old Rochester hardcore videos via Hate Five to to digitize through Hate Five Six eventually. How nice. fucking hilarious would it be if somebody out there has a video of that another day forgotten oh, show that you guys God. are talking about? And that stamp pass pay, cover ends up on hate five six. I'd pay money to get that wiped from the internet. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. All right. All right. Sorry, Aaron. Oh man. Yeah, now this is a lot built up. Oh man, I, I'm just echoing what, what Josh said. Just you know, despite despite the fact that the, the Red Death didn't end up taking the world by storm, it was still a, a really amazing experience to go live in a van dirtbag it for years i got to see the entire country so many times over uh, meet so many awesome people like really really had just like 
the full spectrum of amazing experiences um, on the road. So thanks to anybody who might be who might listen to this podcast, whoever came to one of our shows, bought a shirt, bought a CD, banged their head, told us we had a great show. Like it was a cool little keyhole snippet of life and experience and um, true believer in that, you know, had had I not had that in my life, that my my life would be different today. So super grateful and thankful that I was able to have that touring experience and meet these guys because most of these guys have made turned into lifelong friends. So yeah, very, very grateful to have had that experience with, with these awesome dudes. All right. Anybody have any shout outs or anything before I uh, wrap up the episode? Uh, shout out to, I think one of our, our, uh, I, everybody's probably on this calls right now. Favorite band we toured was Kanai, right? I think yeah. we could probably say that. Awesome. Shout out to that band. I don't know if they'll listen to this, but I love those guys. Dude, can I in the end? Dude, the end the end was amazing. Yeah. And they were also really awesome. great. But those shout outs to uh you know that and uh, any girlfriend I dated around any any of these shenanigans, uh, because they put up with it with 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 grace and uh patience. So thank you for that. <laughs> I think that's going to wrap up episode 63. I want to thank Josh, Aaron, and Paul for their time for doing this episode. As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci, Greg Benoit, and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast. Uh, I got a ton of episodes coming up. Uh, Joe from Carbon Records, Mike Jeffers, Jeff Lasich, uh, just tons of other stuff coming up. So just keep your eyes on EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com and give us a follow on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, see everybody real soon and stay safe.